This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning. And uh, have you put the Olympics to rest? They've gone nine-nine. Until Tokyo, when your Mario, when your Mario Kart uh, Prime Minister of Japan, I don't know if you saw this, the, I guess the Prime Minister was dressed like Mario from Mario Brothers or Mario Kart. I can't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, Japan uh, will be the next Olympics we need to be paying attention to, well, the next Summer Olympics, I guess. So uh, it, how did it go? How did you feel about your Olympic experience other than the lofty, you know, bathroom weird scenario of the U.S. swimmers? Was it a good experience for you? What was your favorite event as you think about it? That's uh, some of the things we'll be talking about in this first hour of the show. We will also get to some of the headlines as well with, you know, Donald Trump. He did a little pivot. And uh, he's got a full court press going on. He's trying to lure now in the African-American community. We'll talk about how that went. Joining us in just a few moments will be our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be with us. We're going to pick his brain and find out to what he thinks about the the big pivot. Was it a—I mean— It's not a pivot. It, was, it wasn't a pivot, but it sure sounded and seemed like a pivot. And if it was a pivot, it is officially over. <laughs> See, blasted morning Joe this morning. Do you see that? Yeah, but see, that's part of the pivot. Part is of it? The, part of the pivot now is to uh, anger all of the media. All right. Because the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Okay. And for Donald's peeps, they do not like the media. So you beat up a reporter, you always seem to do better in Donald's mind. With the core of people that he's his followers, his supporters, yes, not building his following, but can, just keeping the people that are following. Him. I think that's what he's had to do. The pivot was to get everyone back that okay. he had started losing. Wow. Some are, some are even wondering if the whole movement to go toward the African community uh, and starting to, you know, say, look, it, it hasn't gone well for you the past few years. Maybe. It's time you just give someone else a chance. Let me be the guy you give that chance to. Because what do you have to lose? Maybe. Many are saying that may have nothing to do with trying to actually get the African-American vote. Really? But to kind of normalize himself with the voters he's losing. Oh, okay. Because they're thinking, look, if you can't reach out to minorities, if you can't get women, we're done with you. Right. So is it all a ploy? So now he's trying to do it. It looks like he's trying. Yeah. Except that's a, okay. Except Izzy, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll ask. We we will find out from Joe Cannon what he thinks. If uh, if the pivot's real, is it fake? Does it matter really at all? We'll get to all of that. Uh, plus, you know, more headlines and information you may not even need to know, but we will bring it to you anyway. It's all part of the Matt Townsend Show in an effort to help you live longer. You know, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. But first, let's get to Sadie Nelson with the headlines. Sadie. 
Olympic swimmer Ryan Lochte, who was under fire for apparently fabricating a story about him and his teammates getting robbed at gunpoint in Rio, tells NBC News, I over-exaggerated that story. The man who confronts the athletes with a gun was a security guard demanding they pay for the damage they caused to a gas station bathroom. Lochte said that was why he was now taking full responsibility for it and blamed his own immature behavior. During an appearance on CNN on Sunday morning, Donald Trump's new campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway, said that one of his most notable policies, a deportation force for undocumented immigrants, is to be determined. As the weeks unfold, he will lay out the specifics of that plan that he would implement as president of the United States. Conway said a day after reports emerged that Trump would perhaps be softening his immigration plan. According to a new Federal Election Commission filing, Donald Trump's campaign is spending and raising less than that of Hillary Clinton. In July, Clinton spent almost $49 million through money raised for Hillary for America. Trump's campaign spent about $18.4 million that month, with the majority of the money going towards a web design firm. Additionally, almost $7.7 million was paid to Trump companies or family members. And finally, Ian McKellen turned down an astonishing $1.5 million offer to officiate a billionaire's wedding dressed as Gandalf, whom the actor famously played in Lord of the Rings. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. McKellen was allegedly offered the money by Sean Parker, co-founder. What if they wanted him to play Magneto? Who's Magneto? The other character, the other character he plays. Character he plays. That he's famous for that you don't know. No, I have a life. Not allowed. He would have done it for Magneto. So he's gonna. They're asking him to officiate at a wedding. That's what he said, and he said, "I'm so sorry, but Gandalf does not do weddings." Wow, jeez, <laughs> I'll do it. I don't even know Gandalf that well. Is he licensed to do that? No, but you can get licensed overnight for those emergency weddings. Yeah, there's an internet website. Yeah, you just you just pay a couple. Didn't he didn't he perform a wedding in one of the Lord of the Rings movies? Um, I'm not sure. They they spend a lot of time walking in those movies. So, <laughs> a lot of time walking. It's like I want to watch the series again, but man, they just walk and walk and walk. And I, I've seen a lot of walking during the Olympics. And too. then they fight a monster, and then they walk again. Yeah, it's like the closing ceremony. And then they got to find the ring. Then they walk. It's a lot of walking. Wasn't well, wasn't that an engagement ring? Isn't that what that was all about? I I think I don't remember that part of the story. Oh. Well, yeah. Anyway, thanks, Sadie. I th- if if it was Magneto, he would have done it. I don't know Magneto. If he was trying to do something X-Men themed, he would have been there. Oh, this isn't like one of those he could nerdy have got Patrick, He would have shows. got Patrick Stewart. He was Professor X. They would have gone for it. <laughs> Nerd alert! Totally. Wow. He just didn't want to wear the beard. See... Magneto just wore a cape. <laughs> That's all he wore? Well, basically. He had a whole, like, you know, suit thing going on, but... Yeah. Alert nerd. Yep. Uh, I think capes should come back in. You can't... Capes hide so much, it's great. Like, they're slimming? Is that what you're trying they're to like say? They're like moo-moos. <laughs> they can take even the oddest-shaped body and make it look good again. Just a little cape. Hey, speaking of capes... Donald Trump. Nice transition there. <laughs> Donald Trump, uh, he had the big turn. I mean, we're calling it the pivot. Well, everyone but the Trump campaign. It's not a pivot. No, yeah, some are calling it a reset. Mm. I think they're just saying, no, 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 no. This is the nice guy that's always been in there. Some are calling it the launch of a new media empire. That's the big issue, because now you have Ailes on board, plus 
the Breitbart guy, Bannon, is that his name? Yes. And Donald is a media just hound dog. Mm. He can sniff out media two miles away. Apparently. Says who? Says, Says who? <laughs> so is this really have nothing to do with being the president? Is Donald just setting himself up to create a new media empire? That's the conspiracy theory. Which is why he beats up on the media so much right now. Well, with Roger Ailes there, boy, put Roger in charge of it. It could yeah. be an all-male network. Right. The exact opposite of Fox News. Yeah. They could have an all-male, all-suit, all-the-time network. An all-male, all-white. So far. Network. They'd mix it up. So if Donald's not the president, he's got a he's got a he can build an empire, another empire. Trump television. Is this is that the real is that the real deal? I I don't know. I don't know. Do you run for president to do that? It seems like he's prepping to fail and that doesn't seem to track with what uh, Donald Trump tries to put forth as his persona. I'm a winner. Is he pre- is he preparing to fail or is he really is this really the Donald Trump? This is really the guy. Not anyway, sure. he uh, we've got some great uh, audio for you because uh, he he's he went out over the weekend to try to kind of go shore up that sliding uh, that sliding demographic of African Americans that are just totally elusive to him. Apparently, in one poll, I think a Wall Street Journal poll, he's got like one percent of the African American vote. Right. And then everybody fights that. No, that's not true. That's not true. Well, here's what Donald Trump has to say as he's asking for the vote of every single African-American citizen. If Hillary Clinton's goal was to inflict pain on the African-American community, she could not have done a better job. It's a disgrace. Tonight, I'm asking for the vote of every single African-American citizen in this country who wants to see a better future. So um, was he yelling there? It seemed like it. Okay, because he criticizes somebody else for right. yelling. It was, who but, was he speaking to? Just, just a group of his fans? Or was this like an African-American no. like NAACP conference? If you watch the video, he's standing in front of a, uh, you know, they put the people behind him. Yeah. Just a bunch of uh, those people, bunch of white people back behind him. Were they actors? I don't know. They're, okay, and then out. Yeah, you know, I don't know who the crowd was. Right, but okay. trends are if you look at the polling, he doesn't necessarily have a lot of supporters in the African American community. Right, I was just like, who's cheering? There? Wasn't and, it his? It was his staff, wasn't it? Was it his staff? So it, it usually, I mean, you, you've seen how the campaign stops work. They put yeah. all the. If you watch Hillary Clinton, it's kind of comical because you, you you try to see do they have everyone represented behind her, and yes, right. they do. Every single group of people you they can even think had, of are back. They there. even had a terrorist father that shot they up they did. the nightclub. <laughs> and so with Trump, they can't really do that, so they try to right. work with what they got. Okay. So uh, yeah, he was in front of a uh, normal Trump audience asking for this. Well, and he made an interesting point: like, do you feel better off in the African community because of the last eight years? Have you been better served? And many would say, well, no, because more on food stamps. But there's more to the argument than food stamps can't be your only metric, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about poverty on the show a lot. There's right. a lot of things that go into poverty. 
and you know education, healthcare. They, they all, there's probably more with healthcare now, and but then that's a whole other issue we could get into forever with Obama because Obamacare's not working out, taking well. some hits. <laughs> um, we'll get to that, I think, uh, with Joe Cannon in a minute. We also probably ought to at least uh, discuss. Um, some of the other issues that have been going on, for example, in the news, I mean, may not be a huge issue, but could be. Uh, Colin Powell is tired, I guess, of being thrown under the bus yeah. for for being the cause of H- Hillary Clinton's email scandal. She said that he recommended that she get a private email to deal with her email as Secretary yeah. of State. He came back and said, I said anything non-secure she should have a separate email and 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 but this this supposedly went down in a dinner like eight years ago with all of the other secretaries of state which by the way boring that would be like a really boring party but uh i don't know madeline albright she could be (laughs) the life of the party (laughs) john Kerry, condoleezza rice i mean can you just see condy at the piano playing a little you know after dinner music. There you go. <laughs> Has Hillary ever apologized for this? Well, she made mistakes. She made yeah. a mistake. So her apology was about as sincere as Trump's. Yeah, I don't know that they apologize. She's still being investigated, so her words are very measured. She doesn't want to admit to too much, and she doesn't want to say too much, yeah. and so everything is kind of couched, and that kind of ticks everybody off. But apparently the whole Powell thing is... is a big deal. People uh, magazine announced a little bit about it, but apparently Colin Powell was brought up in Hillary's interview with the FBI. Yeah, well, she's as const- where she got the idea. She's constantly said he had one, so I yeah. just followed his example. And if you remember, he had one. What was it now? Sixteen years ago. Yeah, and it was AOL. Yeah, it was like a. It was the and- equivalent of <laughs> if he had like a Gmail today. It was just right. a random account that he had, which is different than her having an actual server in her basement with all of this stuff. Right. But he also he also said he'd never ever had any um, confidential information because he had his own confidential computer. Back in the day, you can imagine right. sitting on his desk. Well, she was really the first uh, Secretary of State that had a real email, yeah, like protocol and situation. Everyone but else was still kind of transitioning exactly. to email. It was kind of what, what the technology well, was. Imagine at the time. we've talked about the IRS having computers that are twenty, no, for running software from forty-five years ago, right? Still, so I would bet email was kind of a new idea to the government. Like, even 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, now they're going to use this email thing forever. I'm sorry, what were those three letters you said? A-O-L. A-O-L. And that's? America Online. It it was kind of the early innovator of email technology. And and it was a browser. And a provider of disks in your mail with free hours. It was also the beginning of spyware and other (laughs) forms of computer spying that you could never take off the software. Did you dream this up? No. I've never heard of AWOL. Yeah, it's AOL. It's it's hard because some of the younger generation have never heard of it. Is uh, So uh, Powell's tired of Hillary kind of throwing him under the bus for all of this. Don't pin it on me, Hillary. But So that's a whole other scandal we could talk about, plus the fact that Hillary probably isn't going to live much longer. If you listen to certain reports, yes. And 
She's got one foot in the grave. Rudy Giuliani is going <laughs> off on this idea. Yeah. I mean, I think in a weird way because he's he's risking his reputation, right? He used to be a serious, serious man, contender for president. What's funny is a lot of the websites that are uh, pushing this idea, or at least where the idea originated with Hillary's health, also are the 9-11 deniers. Right. So you got Rudy Giuliani, who's the mayor of 9-11, right? Yeah, he's the one the that unified guy. the country, right? but he's kind of siding with this other group that has these other ideas. It's kind but, of he, but Mayor Giuliani has a really interesting idea that has just come up recently since Bannon has become part of the campaign. What you need to do, if you don't believe that Clinton's got a health problem, Google it. Yeah. Look just at, Google look at the Hillary Clinton illness and watch the videos. And which, by the way, will lead you right to Breitbart, which Bannon, the, the new, I guess, chairman of, yeah. I guess, I don't know what we're calling him since Manafort left, his holy excellency from of the Trump campaign. Of the Trump campaign. Yeah. So now the referral isn't don't go to the don't go to the New York Times. Nope. Don't go well, they to the Wall Street Journal. They lie. Go instead and Google Hillary Clinton illness and you will see the videos. That's all you need to see. Which, by the way, just imagine that we put a, a camera on you for the last 30 years. We would see a lot of things that make you either look intoxicated, you know, exhausted, bad hips, funny glasses. Just give us 30 years to track you, and then let's put it on the Internet. Crazy, folks. What's happening politically? Well, we'll, we'll be talking with the expert. Joe Cannon is joining us. We will solve this problem for you. Let Joe sort it all out. When we come back, folks, politics on the Matt Townsend Show. Hopefully, our goal here, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Anytime you hear Bob Dylan, political world, you need to think of this man, Joe Cannon. Get that in your brain. Bob Dylan, Joe Cannon, two political gurus. Uh, speaking, <laughs> Joe's going to hate me for saying that. CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Joe is a good friend of the show, and we love to pick his brain. He has run for Senate in the past. He also has been a, the chairman of the Utah Republican Party and an editor for Deseret News here in, uh, in the Inner Mountain area. It's a pretty large paper, and he was the guy running the show. Joe is on the show today to help us walk through the political world. Joe, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Nothing better than a little Bob Dylan and Joe Cannon in the morning. Right, okay. <laughs> so, Joe, what's, uh, what do you think about Donald's big pivot? Do you think it's, it's the key? He's, 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 a, he's almost apologized, uh, but he, may, he, you know, he talked about he may have, he has regrets. He, he came out maybe a little too strong on people. And uh, do you think the pivot's going to work? Well, it is funny. I uh, knowing that you're going to ask me this question, I googled Trump pivot, and I got great stories going back to January <laughs> on Trump's pivot. And, it's and a long even, pivot. <laughs> even last May, Rich Lowry in the, in the National Review, and I used to know the Trump fan, but he said, "Oh, we shouldn't be surprised that he's beginning to uh, throw overboard some of his conservative-ish ideas." Mm. So that was on May 9th. Anyway, we've got a lot of history with. 
Trump uh, hoped for, uh, imagined pivot. But I, I will say this last one was uh, probably more significant in that he actually sounded uh, a little bit contrite. He sounded contrite. He he touched on an issue that a lot of people just wonder: How can you be so harsh to you know to so many different people? Um, you know, uh, racially, uh, ethnically, religiously, genderly. Mm. He, he's managed to be pretty much of an all-purpose offender of a lot of different people, and. You know, he he actually did sound a little bit contrite. I I uh, think a lot of people read it that way. Yeah. In fact, I, I thought, it, it, pivot or not, I don't know that it's going to make a huge difference, but I thought to myself, okay, that's what we should have been hearing a year ago or whenever. Um, yeah. Don't you think? So, so th- there was something there, and then he also, um, f- for the first time, really seemed like he addressed – the, some the, some of the minority issues, the African American minorities especially. What do you think there? Do you think, I mean, in a way, you can't have the only person saying it was fantastic be the white female, you know, campaign manager on your right, team. Right. right. Uh, though we need to talk about Kellyanne in a minute. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. I think somewhere in him, he might think he would be really good for African-Americans only because he thinks Democrat policies for so many decades have been really bad for them. But I guess I'm always reluctant um, uh, as a white person to sort of figure out how blacks should be feeling about right. that. I mean, the fact is, uh, I, I have it, and for sure Donald Trump has not walked in, in their shoes. So uh, I'm, you know, I, I think it probably stems from a, uh, an idea that he would be better and more helpful, that his policies would do more to raise them out of poverty, blacks out of poverty. But wow, when he says, "Look at how horrible things are for you," it's like <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, no, I agree. Uh, I'm here with a stretcher. <laughs> I, don't know, I just seemed uh, like what did you just say that? Yeah. What do you think about uh, the, the, the other kind of um, arrangement where they, they pull Manafort out, they put Bannon in from Breitbart, the, the head of Breitbart, and then they also bring in Kellyanne Conway as a manager? And basically, yeah. she apparently travels with Mr. Trump now, and it seems like since she's been on, he's, she, he's been on a lot more. He's seemed to be on target more. Well, Kellyanne Conway is a very smart uh, person. She's a very, very smart pollster. And uh, if, if it happens that somehow she has this confidence and the ability to influence what he does, that's probably a good thing, a very good thing for him. Yeah. Uh, I think the fact that Manafort was out is really that he was out. I mean, I read, and who knows what actually goes on inside, but there are at least in some reports, some credible to me, that he actually was asked to resign and he does bring, you know, some, um, uh, his own baggage to the campaign. Yeah. That that was a problem, but also you cannot underestimate Paul Manafort, also a very smart, uh, political operative. And, uh, probably he did clash with Trump in a, in a way that, uh, didn't work for Mr. Trump. 
So true. Well, and and yeah, and then all the Ukraine noise. Right, um, right. But and I don't know if you heard this too, but John Podesta also is now being pulled into some of the Ukraine noise as well. He's the chairman of Hillary's campaign, but I guess he's had some ties, or he his yeah. brother's consulting firm has had ties as well yeah, to Ukraine. Say, it's, not, it's not John Podesta himself, but it is his brother's consulting firm. Apparently, was the either the actual recipient or intended recipient of some of the some of the, this Ukrainian Russian favoring Ukrainian money. Yeah. Um, you ask about Bannon. I have no idea how to comment on that. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's apparently a smart guy, but wow, he's such a hidden, uh, I mean, no, not hidden agenda, but a very hugely agenda-driven, populist-type conservative, uh, actually a lot like Trump. I mean, a lot of the conspiracy theories that Trump has been talking about come out of Breitbart and other places like that. So mm. I, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I mean, it seems so, um, again, narrowing of Trump's power base yeah. to go to somebody so extreme as for the chair. This, yeah, for all of this to come at the time of a so, so-called pivot, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all of it. Do and And I guess... This then leads to a lot of people having a conspiracy theory out there that Donald really is trying to just set up a network or, a you know, kind of a media empire. He has Roger Ailes on board now. He has Bannon. He has his own history and, and sources in the media. Is um, Do you have any – do you buy into that at all? That eventually well, he's just going to uh, be the new Fox network but, yeah, with yeah. a Trump. Yeah. I don't know. Of course, you know, I've read those same stories, and uh, there's a lot of smoke there. Yeah. If you, were, if you wanted to think that, there would be a lot of smoke there, because for all of the denials that Ailes is not really on the campaign, well, they've been pals for quite a long time, and nobody doubts or contests that uh, Ailes is helping him with his messaging on some things, and in general, and in particular, uh, debate preparation. So... I don't know. You definitely have a team around him that could well flip into a media campaign, uh, a media company. Hmm. I don't know. Um, do, do you sense, because it seemed like to me um, something has happened to Rudy Giuliani. I'm <laughs> like, has he caught a virus or because it seems like he's not playing politics. I mean, he's playing. I get that New Yorkers have a tough you know, way of politicking. However, I I wonder if um, something else is going on because his comment about if you don't believe that Hillary Clinton has an illness, then go Google Hillary Clinton illness and watch the videos. To me, that sounds like Bannon promoting Breitbart through Giuliani. Well, I don't know what to make of Rudy Giuliani. I mean, he he uh, he also apparently has a long-standing friendship. Uh, slash relationship with Trump. He's clearly all in for Trump. I think, uh, so maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I don't know if it's age-related or whether just that he's of an age where he knows he's not going to run, he's not going to win any political office, he's not going to run for president again. Maybe he just feels like, okay, I'm going all out for the guy who I, I want to win and, and sort of no holds barred. But mm. 
Yeah, it uh, it doesn't seem like him, does it? it doesn't no. seem like the historical uh, mayor Giuliani. Yeah. It seems like he's he's you know kind of ruining his his cachet, his name, his 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 identity as a kind of a clearer thinking, a great argument, you know, creator, great uh, I don't know, great debater. Anyway, it's 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 all I guess turning out to be part more you know of the the craziness of this election. This is a soap opera election, <laughs> all the way around. What is this? What does it look like? Uh, somebody made a crazy point. Well, you know what? Okay, if Hillary's if Hillary's health is so bad, that's fine. Let's just elect her. Then Tim Kaine can be president and problem solved. I, you know, I personally haven't read or heard that, but. Uh... I mean, that's just the fact of what would happen if there are right. any problems. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, ah, Joe, what are we doing? What's happening to this country? Let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. <laughs> I want to find out if you think um, any of the the stuff that President Obama is starting to suffer, some of, you know, the, 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 the uh, latest news about the Iran payment was actually tied to the release of the hostages. Um Aetna pulling out of Obamacare. I want to get your take on that. And how is this going to set up uh, Hillary Clinton or not? And really, the problems that are now going to have to be dealt with because of some of this. Stick with us. More with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, and today we're talking politics. It's Monday morning, so after all of the Sunday shows have been on, we like to bring on Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Joe uh, is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find at fuelfreedom.org, a wonderful organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in Northern America, and uh, also uh, has has served... And is in the know, has met a lot of these political players that we talk about back in D.C., so we like to pick his brain, find out what's going on. And, Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. So when you think about what's going on politically, uh, you can't help but also think about the president. And he's it's got to be hard. You worked with the Reagan administration um, in there in the office of the EPA for them. Talk about what's it like. And I don't know if you were there when Reagan was in his, I guess, lame duck set term. But what what what's happening to the president right now? Is he is he is he is he as involved as ever? Is he starting to just make plans to get out of here? Is he hoping this could end sooner? What do you sense is going on with President Obama? Well, I think he's got, uh, uh, like all presidents, he's got uh, his legacy on his mind, and there are certain things he's really passionate about that he is continuing to push. So he's continuing to push uh, certain parts of his uh, agenda. Uh, I think um, he's got sort of there's a, there are two stages to this. There's between now and November where he's you know very very anxious to get uh, Hillary Clinton elected, and then he's got a true genuine lame duck time between November and January where he's still president and can still do a lot of things. So I would 
I would look to see not so much what I'm seeing now in November, but what does he have in store for um, uh, between November and, and January? Mm. It's he's he's had a few hits uh, lately. For example, the announcement. I guess they even uh, agreed that there was a connection between the payment uh, that was due Iran from you know many years of the embargo and money that they had taken. I guess uh, the United States had taken. And they tied it to actually the release of the hostages. Do, does that is that going to play out in any way negative for him? You know, I, I I wanted to see what a lot of people said about that. So again, I just googled it and I read the, the actual statements the State Department made. And so they never did it. They continued to vigorously deny that it was a ransom. And, yeah, not a ransom, but, not but not connected, but. Kind of. uh, we did, the, but the quote from Admiral uh, Kirby was, uh, "We did in the end game hours hold back payment until we knew the hostages were safe." Hmm. Um, I I don't know how this issue cuts because so many people already have a view. If you're a right. supporter of President Obama, you think he probably did the right thing. You can read, you know, legion of uh, stories talking about how this is nothing more than just the final steps of the of, an, of the implementation of an agreement, and then you can find plenty of people who said, well, it's cash on pallets right mm. at the time. Uh, I mean, they're... Uh, so people who want to not like the president on this have plenty of ammo, and, and people want to support him also have plenty of ammo. There's no question that there was some connection with the hostages in this money. That... that much has been has been admitted, mm. and does that hit and hurt Hillary Clinton? I guess, or is it I, just polarized either way? Well, it's hard to say what, if anything, is hurting Hillary Clinton. I mean, she's uh, uh, you've got the national polls; she's leading pretty convincingly uh, in all but one poll, which is sort of a strange poll that LA Times yeah. uh, uh, USC poll. I'm not saying it's bad; I'm just saying it's. It's an anomaly for sure. Uh, and then you look at the states, all the states that he has to win. You know, she's she's ahead by five in Ohio. She's actually slightly ahead in Georgia, which is a state you almost never have to worry about. She's uh, significantly ahead in Florida. She's, you know, less than two points ahead in North Carolina. Uh, but she's nine points ahead in Pennsylvania, 11 in, in Virginia. Mm. I mean, you're just looking at, you're looking at, um, it's hard to know what's hurting her right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, if anything. And yeah, if anything, I mean, she's, she's doing pretty well. She's running a very disciplined campaign, and Trump isn't. Does, I mean, now maybe he's starting to. And who knows? Well, and she's taking, um, apparently, two or three days off on the weekend and doing a lot of fundraising. She has a lot of money in the bank right now. Is Donald's... I mean, again, again, Donald, I guess, can raise money, but now there's the debate about whether the money should go to the presidency run or to the down ballot tickets. Has that gone anywhere in the last week or so? Well, I mean, the big issue is he turns out he is raising money uh, and, and it's pretty significant money. But the question still is, is it being spent? by anyone anywhere. Forget about whether it's the the national party allocating its funds. Uh, She, Hillary, is killing him in these battleground states. Mm. 
in terms of uh, advertisements and money. Now, maybe there's a smart strategy behind all this. Uh, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you do have a, We've talked about this endlessly. There are many anomalies in this situation where both candidates have near-universal name ID. Yeah. So, so it's hard to know, uh, you know, what each one's going to say. But whatever the Hillary, the Clinton campaign is doing, it seems to be working in those battleground states. Ah, so true. What about uh, the Aetna pulls out, the insurance company pulls out of um, Obamacare coverage, I guess, in certain states. So, which means, you know, fewer insurer, one less insurer now doesn't want to play in the Obamacare healthcare game. What, What do you see going on there? And how will that impact politically? I mean, everybody, really. Yeah. Um, so even though uh, Aetna was only in 11 states, it was uh, you know pretty, pretty significant and a major. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm not an expert in healthcare in general, Obamacare in particular, but <laughs> I, I will say that this this action ratifies two sets of views. One is that maybe Obamacare just can't work the way it's designed with insurers and in, in general and in particular providing care to rural and poorer states, which mm. are mostly affected by this, this particular pullout. On the other hand, you have Robert Rice saying, hey, this is the best argument, I'm quoting here, the best argument for a single-payer health plan is the recent decision by giant health insurer Aetna to bail out next year uh, from 11 of the 15 states. Oh, boy. So, yeah, he, he's saying, no, you, you know what? We were right all along. The insurance companies are bad. They're only going to do things for their own narrow profit. And so we need a single-payer, government-funded health care like England or Canada or other places. Well, and Robert Reich, wasn't he the – he was a – he's an economist, but was President Clinton's back in the day, like his treasury – uh, labor, labor secretary. Labor secretary. Well, that's that's kind of ominous, right? Uh, on the heels of Hillary Clinton possibly being elected president of the United States, maybe we have to go single single payer system. Well, that's definitely what. That's the what argument they'll make. A lot of Hillary supporters believe, and mm. you know, my guess is she probably believes that she's she was the uh, mother of the original formal. Right, uh, single payer health health plan. I mean, the, the idea of single payer health has been around for you know forever, but you know the, there was a more systematic attempt to try it in the early Clinton presidency. Well, and Reich will probably you know oh, he be given the nod good. in one of her cabinet positions or something. I mean, she, he's going to be influencing her. He'll definitely be have influence. I don't know that he'll be a cabinet guy again, but yeah. So it's. Hmm. Um, Wow. So, so the 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 thing is fueling both sides of this argument. Yes, but yeah, yeah. Can you imagine what Congress is thinking? As you know, they've been battling this. How long have they tried to you know repeal and and uh, replace? What any anything else, Joe? That's that is on your radar. Uh, I mean, one thing we we haven't talked about is <laughs> the fact that uh, Michelle Bachman is advising Donald Trump on foreign policy. So that should breathe, help people breathe a sigh of relief. You know, I, yeah, I, I don't even know how to comment on that. I, I, mean, I just wanted to throw that in yeah. there. And, um, 
Yeah. So he's got a lot of advisors. Apparently, he takes his own counsel most of the time. I I do think it'll be interesting to see how the Kellyanne Conway relationship plays out over the next few weeks. So again, this is divided up. You got the debates coming up. So you have between now and the debates, and then I think this is my gut. I, I don't honestly know this from anybody, but it just it seems to me as an outside observer that. Uh, that Trump is putting all the chips into the center of the table on the debates. Mm. And that that's going to be the final, um, the, his, his end game there. I, I, I don't know. That's what it, it seems like. Because you know, they, they adopted this whole, when the polls were good for him, he trumpeted the polls like crazy. Now he and, and all of his uh, acolytes, I'm, I'm thinking of this guy, what's his name, Eric, uh, Bowling, the yeah. guy on, on Fox, you know, just says, oh, look at this. Uh, look at the, the crowds. Yeah. These polls don't mean anything. And then, fortunately, Dana Prino, who has probably the highest IQ of people sitting on that table uh, at, uh, at Fox, says, no, 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 hmm. no. The polls do mean something. Hold it, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just say that they don't mean anything. I mean, right. it's very interesting, and she tweeted out about it, and She's going, no, you guys, come on. Maybe you're all in for Trump. Fine, that's fine. But you got to be real here. Well, did they not learn that with Romney? Well, that's what, yeah, that's her main point. She said, we thought we thought Romney was, the polls were wrong, Romney's going to win. And by the way, the polls then were really, really close. Uh-huh. They, only, they only showed Obama had by, you know, on average, one to two points. And now we're talking about five and a half points nationally. Right. And, and, high single to double digits in a bunch of the states. So, you know, uh, I, will, I, will, I know for certainty, I happen to know Kellyanne Conway, I, I know for certainty she knows the polls better. Yeah. And she knows how to read polls, and she knows how to write polls. And, uh, and so I think he, to the extent he does have some regard and confidence in her, uh, that could make a difference. And maybe this pivot even is connected to that. Who knows? She and seems I, I, like the best decision he's made in a year. Yeah. I mean, just somebody well, else that can speak for him, seemingly somebody that I guess he'll listen to a little bit because he's uh, he has he has been using a prompter a lot more. <laughs> he has seemingly apologized. He is seemingly addressing African Americans, although not maybe the way they would want to be addressed. I don't know. There seems like something is amiss here. Something's going on. Something's yeah. changing him a little bit. Well, we'll see in the next few weeks. And like I say, they've got uh, this sort of still this gestation period between now and the debates, which is only, what is the, what's the first debate? Is it like the September 20-something? Oh, man, that's soon. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, That'll be fun. Are, things are moving, yeah. Well, Joe, we appreciate your insight, my friend. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Good keep, talking with keep you. Keep up the great work. Again, Joe Cannon. You can find out more information about Joe and what he's doing at fuelfreedom.org. Uh, fuelfreedom.org. It's an organization designed to help you lower uh, the fuel costs here in the United States. He's fighting for your fuel costs and prices. you got to love that. We will take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be back. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach 
Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we have talked about, it's when we get into the Donald Trump slash Hillary Clinton election, it's easy to become cynical and one more story after another after another and really doubt the world and doubt what's going on. Um, meanwhile, in contrast, we are, we are seeing the Olympic Games being covered, which I don't know. I think like them or hate them, thinking they're commercialized uh, too much. There's something about some of the the incredible stories and and most memorable moments that uh, that you just to some degree got to appreciate. And one thing that pretty much you know made me wonder if are we too are we if are we not sorting our media effectively i could blame ryan lochte for his problem in fact we have a we have a quote from him as he was on uh, nbc's matt lauer with matt lauer about his behavior the version we're hearing now is much more about a negotiated settlement Mm -hmm. to cover up some dumb behavior that's why i'm taking full responsibility for it is because I over-exaggerated that story. And if I'd never done that, we wouldn't be in this mess. None of this would have happened. And it was my immature behavior. The immature behavior that uh, created a major, you know, worldwide media kind of scandal. Some some are even claiming the immature behavior where he was making stuff up while he was intoxicated still and talking to his mom. Is that what we're going to hold up from the Olympics? It seems like the media will shine the light there or we'll shine the light on the Rio closing ceremonies and see Tonga's flag bearer all greased up and and muscly. And boy, on boy, oh, boy, is he getting a lot of attention or the USA basketball team destroying other teams as they go on for goal. The great story, I guess. But in the end, we have to decide what are the great stories. And just because the media doesn't always bring the best story, be careful. Because if we, if we as a culture are willing to accept um, the most just tantalizing, exciting stories as the best stories, then we, we are setting ourselves up for more people like Trump and more if we don't demand some honesty then we are we are setting ourselves up for more situations like uh hillary clinton it's folks we're the ones that are creating the clinton trump problem because we are the consumers of the media and if if it's if people think that you can go be just more bombastic and more outrageous than the next guy and that will get you elected holy cow we're in trouble We're in trouble. So take back your own viewing. Take back. Go talk about the good stories, the quiet stories that the media aren't covering. Dig deeper into the Olympics than just what you see in primetime. And the same with your presidency as well. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is 
is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hey, we've got a great show for you. This hour, we'll be talking about um, how you can work on your extrovert skills, even if you're an introvert. So this was this one was for you, Terry. Really? Yeah. You're an introvert. I'm kind of an introvert. No one believes it, but I, I like being alone. I love it. I, I prefer it. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Quite literally, I can't get enough of it. So, but what they're finding out is you may actually be happier if you are an introvert, if you have extroversion skills, if you know how to deal with people well, it will probably buy you some more time to be alone. Nothing wrong with that. Sounds like it's like the Holy Grail. It's the Holy Grail. By acting like you're an extrovert, Uh people will move away and you can get to the point that you want to be and that is alone. Yeah. I'm often alone and not by choice. So you're more of an extrovert. You would probably rather be with people, wouldn't you? I would rather, but uh, I can't I can't control how other people make their decisions. That's the problem. Well, what you are, you're what we call an awkward extrovert huh. that people run away from, Jeff. I mean, I mean that in the best way possible. It's not that people don't love you. It's just like... They don't love you. That guy, that guy is a close talker. Oh, come on. It's funny. So even the extroverts <laughs> need skills and the introverts need skills. Today we'll be talking with Andre Solo. No relation to uh-huh. Han Solo. I was just letting you know that, Terry, because I know you made the connection. Could be. You did a little family search. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, no relation to nope. Han Solo. How working on my extrovert skills made me a happier introvert. So if you're an introvert, listen up. This could be very valuable for you. We'll get to that plus uh, other news. In fact, you won't believe a woman cooking a brisket. I mean, how many times a day do you not do you see that? That's happening all the time. Right. Well, this one is a little different. She started a fire. Hmm. She was cooking her brisket somewhere you don't normally cook a brisket. Right. We're going to give you an update on that. Okay crazy story and in fact we found a song about the very topic cooking brisket mm-hmm. huh. in this special place so much to look forward to pretty cool pretty cool we'll get to that plus other headlines that'll be coming up throughout the hour we'll try our best to make it a trump free hour we'll see but first let's get to sadie nielsen with the headlines sadie Team USA has dominated both the gold and overall totals. The U.S. finished with 46 gold medals and 121 medals overall. It's 41 total medal margin over second place China, the largest in a non-boycotted Olympics in nearly a century. For the fourth consecutive games, U.S. swimmer Michael Phelps left with more medals than anyone else. He won six in Rio, while U.S. swimmer Katie Ledecky won five. A chain reaction car accident involving 27 vehicles on an interstate north of Atlanta has left 13 people hospitalized. A spokesman for Bartow County Department of Emergency Medical Services said the victims ranged in age from 11 to 61 and involved both minor and severe injuries. The accident, which occurred on 
<clears throat> I-75 about 5 p.m. Sunday appears to have been caused by a major storm. At least 27 vehicles were involved in the crash, and the National Traffic Safety Board has been called in to investigate the pileup. The U.S. men's basketball team won gold Sunday in Rio, defeating Serbia 96-66. It was the third consecutive gold medal for Team USA. Kevin Durant led the team in scoring during the games, finishing with 30 points on Sunday. And finally, surgeons have removed 40 metal knives from a patient who spent two months swallowing them, according to the doctor who led the operation. Yes, this is in breaking news. The unnamed 42-year-old man who had an uncontrollable urge to eat the knives went to a hospital in northern India after complaining of stomach pain and weakness. Only after an ultrasound revealed a large mass in his stomach did the man tell the doctors he had swallowed knives. We were so nervous. A small mistake could have taken the patient's life, the doctor said. In my 20 years of practice, I have never seen anything like it. Hold on. The doctors were worried that a, a, a... The wrong move by their scalpel could have harmed the man? Yes. While this man had, had tried to... He had 40 knives, knives in his gut. Well, he was still alive <laughs> as they were working on him. So they well, didn't want to contribute to Well, I know, to but it. the only knife under control was the one in the doctor's hand. Right. And if they could get all the other ones out without harming him, they were hoping to do that. Well, maybe he needed to be harmed. <laughs> they have That's treatment crazy. groups for that, for people that just have no, that didn't. uncontrollable urge... That's sad. I used to have that problem. Did you? But you, that was what was weird. You, what What did you eat? You didn't eat knives. Well, I think that's, you know, like you said, I'm an extrovert and people choose not to be around me. It mm-hmm. probably has something to do with the knives. And the Yoplait cups. You used to try to eat Yoplait cups. Do you remember? I heard about that. The thing about Yoplait cups is that <laughs> when, once they break, they're as... Sharp as knives. They're every bit as dangerous as a knife. That and like any electronic that you purchase Uh and try to open it, it's a razor blade. I've lost two fingers just trying to open an iPod once. Over the last couple months, we've had a guy that swallowed pencils. Yeah. Remember, they they, they went in and did surgery and it was just like pencils that came out of his stomach. And then we had the woman that was eating the stuffing out of a recliner. Right. See, but that, see, they've got, they've got an issue. They've got a a mental health issue and a, and a, their body is craving a chemistry, right? A certain chemical, probably. Yeah, the stuffing in an old recliner. She said the one in the living room was especially a good vintage. Was she <sighs> pregnant? No. Oh. But she said it came on during, I think, during pregnancy. You would think if you had 40 knives in your gut, you'd have a little bit of a pooch. <laughs> How do you swallow a knife? Ugh. Anyway. Sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke. Yeah, it does. How do you swallow a knife? Um, okay, we got to get to this crazy story because firefighters didn't have to reach for an extinguisher when they were called to a cooking fire at North Knoxville apartment this week. They simply turned on the shower head. That's all they had to do is they walk in and they just turned on the shower head because the woman uh, was was attempting to cook a brisket over an open flame in her bathtub. Hmm. Right? Like, I mean, I guess when you're thinking about it, is you think, hey, where's the safest place to cook the brisket? The oven? Yeah, the oven would be a great start. Okay, I'm just, just taking a wild yeah. guess there, yeah. I mean, maybe the patio? Do it on a barbecue, yeah, maybe? Yeah, go barbecue. Even a microwave brisket. would have been safer. Right, yeah. Yeah, but instead, she just said, hey, the bathtub. 
The resident had lit a small wood-burning grill inside the bathtub with the meat placed on a wire rack across the tub's rim. So, okay. So she just lit a fire in the tub, basically. Small one. Right. And then placed a rack, probably from her oven, mm-hmm. across the tub to cook the brisket. I mean, maybe it was raining. Maybe it was raining maybe outside. Maybe she on. didn't have access maybe to a patio she was, area. Didn't have gas for her gas oven. Right. Okay. We don't know. Yeah. The heat soon melted the fiberglass <laughs> underneath the plastic. The tub. Tub. Mm. Fire crews responded to the middle uh, to what? a middle-aged woman fanning light smoke from her apartment and melting fiberglass tub in the bathroom. He said, and then all they had to do really was turn on the water. Why didn't she just turn on the shower? Yeah, she probably just thought, I better get out of here because my arms are melting. <laughs> Something like that. So all right. we actually found an interview. This woman was a singer, mm. songwriter. Wow. And she put together a song about grilling brisket in the bathroom. This bathtub's on fire. Wow. Yeah. This tub's to be spot on. She's a baritone. <laughs> She's got some beef and some squash burning next to face wash. Yeah. This is true. It's good. So, beef and squash. Was only supposed to be brown, but now there's flames all around. Mm. Tragic. Yeah. Mm. Some emotion there. That was um, we didn't we couldn't take the whole song. It would right. go forever. Yeah. But I think she, she was recording. Verses. Yeah, she was recording while the fire was going on. Was she? Was she like? Was she the one that uh, just kind of was moving, like slow dancing, kind of as they were interviewing her? Was she the one doing that? Because I saw somebody just kind of swaying to the music, swaying, yeah. gyrating almost. Right. She right. was rubbing a brisket at the same time too. <laughs> <laughs> was she playing the the, the brisket kind of like a one of those washboards? Yeah. Wow, that was interesting. Yeah. The whole story and the song too. Was yeah. it full service? <laughs> uh, beef and squash right next to the f- face wash. body wash. Yeah. She's got she's got a great kind of soulful lyrics. Totally. There, you know, she's... you can hear the pain coming through her lyrics. It's good. That girl can rhyme. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, if you if you need to clean your meat, pardon. If you're going to clean your meat before you you cook it, true. But I don't. <laughs> I don't like. I don't want like. I mean, but that's how. You, like, don't you boil? No, sorry, that was something else. Don't. But it seems like I don't want water on the meat. Well, I kind of want seasoning and spices. Right. I isn't that? It seems like the water would wash all that off. Then you just got clean beef would you loofah the brisket that's not a bad idea maybe exfoliate a little bit yeah just to kind of knock off knock off the cruft if you will on the but can't you imagine your wife like what's all this brown stuff in my loofah (laughs) well you get it it's my glaze you get a one-time use loofah (laughs) you get a natural tan too what do you you rub rub the brown onto yourself it's a bronzer (laughs) it's a cheap bronzer (laughs) i mean why is there a rib on the tub Oh, I left that there. <laughs> Sorry. I'm telling you, folks. This yeah. is this is this is your competition. It doesn't seem as bad as, as you may think. Wow. Right? I mean, 
Everyone's like, oh, I don't know how I can keep up in this crazy world. Believe me, you'll be fine. <laughs> Just don't cook your brisket in the tub. Anyway, any other headlines we need to pay attention to, Terry? Rough transition here. Okay. One has nothing to do with the other. And it doesn't have anything to do with Trump. No. Okay, good. Uh, Princeton University administrators want to do away with the word man in the interest of the fostering of an inclusive environment. Wow, man. The Princeton Human Resources Department's new policy for gender-inclusive language advises employees to avoid the generic term man in favor of more generic gender-neutral expressions. Can you say man? For example, words such as mankind should be avoided in favor oh, of humankind, even though the word human contains the word man, man, which could be problematic, but they don't address that. Why don't you say hue person kind? Could be. Don't praise a colleague for his or her workmanlike performance. Use a much more generic descriptor such as skillful. That's, that's really... Then they give a nifty chart. Oh, good. Let's go through some of these because this um, is important. Don't use average man. Okay. Use average person, ordinary person. Yeah, you're just an ordinary person. Um, best man for the job. One, avoid that. Say best person for the job instead of saying a layman. Uh huh. Right, a layman's. You know, a uh, layman's yeah, I'm just opinion. a layman. Yeah, a layperson or non-specialist. Okay. When you say the word man, we've already talked about that one. Man and wife use spouses or partners. Uh, man hours, person hours, or work hours. Wow. Uh, uh, the the term man-made. Mm-hmm. You should say artificial, handmade. Synthetic or manufactured, except the word manufactured okay, has man one. in it. So. What if uh, what if you work with the sewer department and you have to go remove the manhole? It should be person. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the the people entry <laughs> gateway to the sewerville. Manpower should be personnel, staff, workers, or workforce. Oh, now this all goes back to uh, basically uh, it has to do with their HR department when they put out job descriptions. Any sort of communications policies or job postings. Yeah. The Princeton director of media relations told uh, this website, The College Fix, which covers n- news from college campuses, uh, says it reflects the university's initiative to foster an inclusive environment, but added the students are not mandated to follow these. But uh, wait a minute. You just said mandated. Oh, exactly. Ah, yeah. Person so dated. This is, this is really difficult for them. It says that other universities have established similar guidelines in an effort to promote the similar gender inclusive language at UNC Chapel Hill. Hill, University of Tennessee, and Marquette University. Hmm. Yale, another member of the Ivy League, has faced uh, students a student-led effort to reform its English literature offering because too many of the notable English authors are men. When does this end? There's not enough women in the past like, who wrote history. Is his, it's his? It's her like her story. So it's person story. Per, person story. Can we just all start? <laughs> Dressing the same, too. Can we just have one outfit that everybody oh, wears? Oh, Jeffrey, don't go there. You're going down a road. Don't go there. I, I just reported what Princeton don't. is doing. You start bringing You're killing your... me, Smalls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You... <sighs> yeah. You just need a moo-moo. Yeah. If we, just go... us, we just need... Everyone needs a smock. A gray we a, smock. We need a moo-moo society. But then men, men and women restrooms. What do we say? Person? Yeah, sure. Just ask, just Person ask, A, well, now you're ranking them? Ask Target. They're trying to figure this out. Yeah. Once you get into that, I don't know that neutral is the key. I don't... I, I've i never gotten anywhere in my car in neutral. Seems like somewhere you gotta... Uh, just... I don't know, but I guess that's the problem. You're going to ostracize somebody. 
Okay, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be talking about introversion and uh, how do you learn the extrovert skills? Does it help? According to our next guest, if you are an introvert, you're going to want to get really, really skilled at working with others. It'll get you uh, a little bit more of your free time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We're talking introversion, extroversion. Up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, did you know that at least one in three people could be considered an introvert? But what is an introvert? How are they different from extroverts? What can we learn from each other? Today's guest is Andre Solo. He is a proud introvert. Andre is a published author, experienced adventurer, and trained philosopher who believes that working on his extroversion skills has made him a better introvert. Here to help us understand what an introvert is, as well as what we can all do to make ourselves happier as introverts, is Andre Solo. Welcome, Andre Solo, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Good to be here. Great to have you. Uh, again, if people want to get to you, there's a, there's a, your website's a wonderful site, roguepriest.net, um, a philosopher's journey to meet the gods. Talk to us, Andre, about uh, this extroversion-introversion. I guess I always like to define the terms. Define for us what is an introvert, what is an extrovert. Yeah, so I actually I define introversion a little bit differently than most people do. I think most of us have heard the saying that an introvert gets their energy from being alone and an extrovert gets their energy from being around people. Yeah. And that's not technically true. I mean, scientifically speaking, everybody, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all recharge by having some downtime, and we all get worn out if we have too much social time or too much stimulus. Mm. Um, the difference is that extroverts are marathon runners in a social environment, and introverts are sprinters. Oh, that's, <laughs> so we get worn a out a lot. Way. No, so my wife is a com- my wife is like a mega marathoner. She likes to do the hundred <laughs> miles in every social setting, and I'm kind of a sprinter. That by about fifteen hundred meters, I'm exhausted. Exactly, exactly. Isn't that interesting? That's a great way to do it. So it's kind of the marathoner versus sprinter. Talk about uh, you, because, so are you, do you see yourself as a, as a sprinter, as an introvert? I'm definitely an introvert, definitely a sprinter in a social situation. I have to kind of psych myself up before I go to a social situation. Um, even, even good friends that I really love, if, if they show up unexpectedly or I didn't, I didn't plan on having the conversation, I, I find myself just kind of floundering and losing my energy really quickly. So I have to be prepared almost to uh, so take true. on a social event. That's actually me. And nobody believes it, Andre, because if you have a radio show or if you do a lot of public speaking, everyone thinks you just love people. And I love people. I really do. I just, like you say, I, you know, I know that I've got to conserve my energy for certain situations. Exactly. That's what it is. Is it, um, yeah, I guess, are we just born this way? Are we socialized this way? How does this come to be? So it's interesting. There's a mix of both. Um, but the truth is we are largely born this way. It turns out that um, even, even babies within a couple months of being born, um, they're going to already be presenting more of an introverted personality and more of an extroverted personality. That's going to stay for life. And the, the cool thing is that our brains as introverts are actually different um, than extroverts' brains. We have slightly different um, biochemistry, and uh, we, we just sort of process the world differently. The main difference being that we have a lot going on. I mean, everybody has an inner world. Everybody has thoughts and feelings and right. daydreams. 
Um, but we have a lot going on in our heads, and a lot of times what's going on in our heads is, is very interesting to us, and it's almost hard to pull yourself out to pay attention to what's in the world around you. And that's where that drain feeling comes from. You're almost trying to pay attention to, like, two TV shows at once instead of just one. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that is the draining process, right, is if, I, if I've got the external uh, story being told and all the stimulus and all of the excitement outside of me, but inside I'm also processing a lot of it or I mean and plus all my last stories from yesterday tonight is that what wears me out is is the overwhelming you know data overwhelm exactly yeah it's mm. like you're multitasking all the time if somebody's talking to you or, or there's something happening in the physical world around you you're you're dealing with that and your own inner thing at the same time and it, it gets tiring now you talk about different types of introverts uh, what do you mean by that yeah, so that's interesting. There's some new research out, and I'm not, not super familiar with it, but just basically delving into the idea that, that not every introvert is introverted in the same way or for the same reason. So, for example, there's a difference between somebody who is introverted primarily because they are really lost in their own inner world, like me, um, just always thinking of, of ideas and what-ifs and stuff like that, versus somebody who's introverted maybe because they have social anxiety and because they're, you know, they, they, they get a sense of nervousness uh, mm. around other people. Um, so just the idea that there's different reasons, or, or maybe it's, you know, we probably all have the same, you know, the same wiring as introverts, but maybe it just expresses itself in different ways. So two people who identify as introverts could experience that very, very differently. Mm. And one might say, hey, I'm not shy. I'm not nervous around other people. I just, uh, I just feel really introverted and get drained quickly. And the other person might say, like, well, yeah, I get drained quickly too, but I, I do actually experience a lot of anxiety dealing with the social situation. Yeah. So it's a little bit different for every person. Have you, ever, have you ever heard or studied about high sensitivity and Elaine Aaron's work? Yes. <laughs> See, so that's fascinating overlap with introverts, isn't yeah. it? Totally, and and I even look at it. This, so maybe another one is, I mean, one is the inward kind of soul that that just is very introspective. But I wonder if if somebody is also a high sensitive, and they just overstimulate easily. Um, exactly, that's interesting. So so really, we it's not enough to just call us an introvert. And now we're even having discussions about ambiverts, you know, people right. that can do both and. Um, but in the end, I guess it's not about even defining yourself, but really understanding how you work, really. Exactly, yeah. Finding and your that, code, yeah. That like sense of coming to understand yourself is, I think, the biggest thing that an introvert can do. Even more, much more important than working in your extrovert skills, because I don't think there's any introvert, any introvert out there who should try to pretend to be an extrovert or try to fake it. I mean, I think we get enough of that kind of talk. Um, I found it useful to work on those skills, but really the biggest thing you can do for yourself is just to get to understand how your mind works. And I feel like, for me personally, once I realized I was an introvert and I, and I understood what that meant, I started to feel normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> oh, normal, I'm not know? crazy. I thought I was crazy. Right. But just because I, I felt like, why do I always want to avoid people? Exactly. Yeah. I think just growing up, I, I, you know, nobody specifically told me this, but I just got the sense that if you didn't, uh, if you weren't really outgoing and social all the time, if you didn't just love being around people all the time, that there was something wrong with you, mm-hmm. that you were being stuck up or, or something. And I, I felt like, oh, I have to change myself. There's, there's something wrong about me. And, you know, when you realize that, no, this is actually how a third, maybe half of the population is, and it's normal and it's got advantages too, uh, that's a powerful thing. Now, in this whole process, you've been, you've put together an experiment that you've been doing and writing about, <laughs> talking about. Share with us, talk us, talk to us about your experiment uh, with your extroversion or your right. introversion so, and extroversion. 
Yeah, kind of with the both of them, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've just always been a big believer in working on my weaknesses. Um, I really believe that we can change uh, a lot of, you know, like any, anything you're not good at, it's not just because you're doomed to be bad at that thing. You can actually practice it and get better. And so a few years back, you know, and I used to be much, much shyer of an introvert. I was very socially awkward, um, which not all introverts are, but I was. I was just awfully bad in social situations. And I decided, well, what if this is a skill you can learn the way that you can learn, like, dance or yoga? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I made a list of things that I wanted to be better at, and the very first one was just, like, talking to strangers, just making conversations. And I'm not even recommending that everybody do this because it, it was really awkward. Um, but I, I just set a challenge for myself. I decided, okay, well, this week I'm going to talk to five strangers and I had rules. You know, the strangers, they can include, like, waiters or people at a, a store, like the people who work at a store, because those people are paid to be nice to you. <laughs> right. You know, they, they have to like kind of smile, no matter how right. you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like actual strangers, just walk up to them, and you're going to have five conversations this week, and that's Ooh. what you're going to do. So wow. I had a little checklist, and it, was, it went terribly the first time. <laughs> 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 I was in an art museum, and, uh, you know, Somebody was admiring this painting across the room from me, and since I had no social skills at the time, I didn't go up and kind of, you know, politely say, oh, hey, uh, you know, what do you like? It was, I kind of from across the room almost like yelled, like, hey, cool painting, right? <laughs> and, and they turned kind of surprised, uh, but I was shocked. They didn't seem weirded out. They didn't, they didn't run away. They, they started talking to me about the painting. And Isn't so, I, you know, we had a conversation. But I missed almost the whole conversation because in my head I was thinking, sweet, I got one of my five done. There's one. And I just got out of there as fast <laughs> as I could. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's, I mean, but what a great exercise that you're, but you're pushing yourself to do that. <laughs> right, yeah. And it is funny because, I mean, as much as I joke about how bad I was at it, it it's sort of like the first time you go to, uh, you know, to the gym. You, the very first time you go, you're, you're going to just feel like dead afterward. You're not going to be good at any of the exercises. But after going six months, you start to get better and better and see results. And it is true. After I challenged myself enough times, I, I got better at making small talk. I started to notice, does the person look bored? Should I cut this off? Or hmm. I came up with ways of coming up with better topics of conversation that I, I found more interesting because most small talk is really boring to most introverts. Like, no one really cares. Like, when people ask you, what do you do for a living? They don't really care. Yeah, right. Let's Unless just get through this. Agent, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Are you done yet? Okay, that's exactly. good. Yeah. It's so true. But, but what I found, now I learned it, Andre, as a, um, so as an LDS missionary, I went to Argentina, lived there for two years, and was basically, in my introverted way, felt forced and compelled to have to learn to talk to people that I didn't know. And it was a great, it was an incredible experience for me. And interestingly, though, and you tell me because I know you, you're all over the country and the world, I mean, um, mm-hmm. doing it in Spanish actually helped me, too, because I almost felt like I could hide through a language, if that right. makes sense. And, but it, I learned that, holy cow, I can learn how to actually get comfortable starting a conversation like you were talking about and finding a really good way to start one. And um, and learning all the nuances. And, and once I had some of those skills, I didn't feel as much fear or anxiety. Yeah, tribal, I feel like, is a great teacher for a lot of skills. And certainly people skills is one of them. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be international travel. I, I do. I'm, I'm actually getting ready to bike across, to like ride my bicycle across Central America later this year as a, as a charity thing. Wow. Um, which will be fun. But, I mean, it can be anywhere. But if you're in a city that you 
don't live in, you know, where you just don't know that many people, it's great because on the one hand, you have to talk to strangers just kind of to survive. Yeah. But then on the other hand, if you don't want to talk to anybody, almost no one knows you, and it's really easy to just slip under the radar. So it's kind of that perfect mixture of, like, you have to get outside of your comfort zone, but you also can retreat anytime you need to. Mm, it's so true. We're going to take a break. Uh, we are, we're speaking today with Andre Solo. He, is, uh, he has a website called roguepriest.net. Go look it up, roguepriest.net. We'll be back and continue our discussion on extroversion skills, helping to make a happier introvert. It's, it's at your disposal, folks. You can just start to talk, start to relate to people, learn slowly, but push yourself a bit. We'll take a break. More with Andre Solo when we come back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Andre Solo is joining us. Uh, Andre is uh, a what they call the rogue priest. If you go to roguepriest.net, he is an author, a philosopher, a professional adventurer. Since 2012, he has traveled across the Americas with nothing but a bicycle, and uh, he is doing all he can to write about heroism, spirituality, and exploring the world as an introvert. Today, he's talking to us about how gaining uh, some extroversion skills, some social skills, made him a happier introvert. Andre, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Fun topic, and uh, I, I really do. I, I think everybody, we don't need the label extrovert or introvert. We just need the awareness, the understanding, and then we got to kind of figure out how to handle it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it comes down to. And there's no one right way for introverts to kind of to kind of explore their own introversion. But for me personally, it did help a lot to work on my, so, my social skills. I think mostly just because once I realized I could do it, it didn't seem scary anymore. I was able to start accepting that I just prefer quiet time once I realized I'm not actually bad at socializing. I just prefer not to do much Right. Of it. Well, yeah. and it's interesting, too. You you chose philosophy, you know, uh, a skill set where you go, I mean, you still communicate with others, but a lot of it is in your own thinking, but yeah. bicycles um, and, and getting out there and letting your mind kind of do the work for you. It's, it's interesting how we end up choosing in a way where we work many times based on what we're drawn to and, and our introversion or extroversion. Yeah, that's exactly right. To me, when I'm, when I'm on the bicycle on those long days, a lot of times it'll be eight, nine hours just pedaling. And you're usually out in the middle of nowhere. It's usually beautiful surroundings, and it's, it's almost like a meditation. I'm just lost in my thoughts for hours and hours, and it's great. Do you, um, when, when you think about this, this study that you did, this kind of experiment where you, you basically pushed yourself to talk to people uh, five a day, talk to five strangers a day, five conversations, um, what, what did you find out about your happiness have you been missing as an introvert that maybe hides or had historically hidden more on a bicycle, not having these conversations? Were you less happy? Were you more happy? Was it the same when you started to talk to others? It was interesting. It was, it was a mix. I mean, initially I was much happier because I felt like I was succeeding at something that I'd always thought I was just doomed to be terrible at. Um, and also, you know, even, even as an introvert, of course, there is a lot of value in making those human connections, and I, I do like other people. Um, so it was nice, but making more connections with people. Um, 
I did find out that even as I got better at it, it was still draining. You know, that never went away. And this was before I understood what it meant to be an introvert. Um, so it kind of helped to push me to understand myself better because I'm, I'm realizing, no, no, you're getting really good at this. People, people now think you're social and charming and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you're still leaving these, these parties exhausted, you know, or, or leaving these events just feeling like, oh, man, I wish I'd left two hours ago. Um, and I also learned some, some sort of... Uh, truths about how it works as an introvert. I, I guess I sort, of, I sort of busted some of my own myths hmm. because I had always assumed that I was just only able to socialize in small groups and that a, a big group would be too much for me. And I also thought that I was only going to be able to have a good conversation with people I knew well and that I would have a tough time with strangers. And it turns out that neither of those are true. Once I, once I worked on learning those kind of extrovert skills, um, I realized that I can, I can do it in almost any setting, you know, with a bunch of people I've just met for the first time or in a, in a huge room with, with dozens or hundreds of people. I can do it the way an extrovert would. I can, I can move around, talk to lots of different people one after another and, and feel okay with myself. Um, and that was really fascinating to me because that, that surprised me. That, it's interesting um, that you, you found a lot of, it sounds like, little tricks. One of the tricks you mentioned is that you, you understand that everyone enjoys talking about themselves. And so it's, it's, it is, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful trick, isn't it? You just throw one question out to them, and usually they just eat it up like a rabid dog. Exactly, yeah. The hard part with that as an introvert is, and I hate to say this, but I'll throw that question out to them, and they'll start talking so happily about their life, and I have to really try <laughs> not to just like tune it out. You yeah. know, I have to keep like, my attention on them so that I hear what they're saying, and I can ask them a follow-up question or, or, you know, or, or comment on what they're saying. It's really easy for me to daydream during conversations. That's one bad habit I still have a hard time breaking. Isn't that interesting? Talk <laughs> about, you, you also, I think, cited, first time I've ever heard of this topic, this this idea of the social battery and social energy. Right. Talk, talk about that. What's going on there? Yeah, I think everybody has this to some degree. It, you, you know, your, your brain gets tired the more you do with it. And that's, <laughs> there's only so much willpower that we have as people. We like to think of like, you know, well, no matter what I want to do, if I can just will myself to, if I can just have iron, you know, solid willpower, I can, I can do anything. And that's true to an extent, but uh, apparently according to uh, neuroscientists, um, willpower is limited. You only have so much until you rest and get a good night's sleep. And so if you spend a lot of your willpower trying not to eat a donut for breakfast and try to eat something healthy instead, and then you spend some more willpower trying to get to work on time when you're almost late, you spend some more willpower doing something that you didn't want to do at work that day or trying to be really nice to a coworker who's kind of a jerk, you're running low on the, on the battery in your head. And as an introvert, that means you only have so much energy left to give to social time before you hit that, that uh, I think every introvert's experience what we call an introvert hangover. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where eventually you've just you've had so much stimulation and so much time around other people that you kind of shut down. You just you feel a little bit wrecked until you get a lot of alone time. What do you say to the people, maybe an extrovert that looks, like, looks at you and like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> Come on, Andre. Everybody gets tired. Don't call it introversion. Just, just buck up and talk. 
Yeah, I get that a lot. A lot of extroverts, I think, are sick of hearing introverts talk about our, our whole, you know, it's, it's sort of been like a moment lately for introverts. Like everybody's talking about right. it, writing about it finally, and people are learning what that means. And I think it gets annoying for a lot of people. They're like, well, come on, you know, they're like, everybody gets tired, you know, it's not a big deal. And I guess my response is just like, it, it's the old, you know, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes thing. Like, I, I know that to you, it seems like I should be able to just kind of, you know, pull up my cowboy pants and, and go another three hours to this party. But um, if you knew what it was like to get this fatigued, and a lot of times I will use that marathon runner versus sprinter example. I'm mm-hmm. like, everybody can, can benefit, you know, health-wise from jogging. Um, and jogging makes you feel good. Like, you actually release happy chemicals. But some people are going to be just done after like you said, 1,500 meters, and other people can go the full 26-mile marathon. So some people are sprinters, and I'm like, socially, I'm a sprinter. And I yeah. think a lot of times that makes it a lot clearer for them. What, what about the job of the introvert to find, they have to identify their own type, their own scent, their own reason for doing what they're doing, but and in a way you have to embrace it. I, I have a lot of people that I talk to that are trying to um, start a career and they really want to do this certain type of career. And I look at them and, and I think, wow, I'm not sure you'll be happy uh, doing a job that will demand, like even teaching school, yes. when they're so loving being alone. Yeah. And, and so how did you come to that realization of yourself and what would you recommend for the rest of us? I mean, it is. It's an ongoing process. I think a lot of introverts are drawn to being teachers because a lot of us liked school when we were kids. We were were good at it. (laughs) Yeah. Quiet, the quiet worker in the back of the room. Exactly. And then you realize that teaching is, because my girlfriend used to be a teacher and uh, she she quit for exactly that reason, um, that it was, it was really draining to her. And she would, she would, she loved the kids in her class and she loves being around kids, but she would come home at the end of the day and just feel like, you know, it was almost impossible to move. Um, for me personally, I worked for a long time in the nonprofit world. Um, some of my jobs were more people-oriented than others, and I eventually quit in order to become a writer. And I've I've never regretted that. I, mm. I now work. You know, I mean, writers are, are famously reclusive. You know, nice. so I now work primarily on my own. I can work uh, in in my home if I want to. I can work at a coffee shop, um, and I can literally, if I choose to, I can go weeks talking to almost no one except for, like, you know, my girlfriend and, and maybe whoever checks me out at the grocery store. Um, so it's completely in my hands how much alone time I want to have. And obviously that's not possible for everybody in their career, but I do think that um, the more you can sort of steer yourself toward a position where you are expected to do good work on your own. I mean, a, a sales position is hard. A teaching position is hard. If it's a position where you have to get in front of big groups of people, again, we can do it. We can become exceptional yeah. speakers, exceptional salespeople. Um, but it, it just is very draining at the end of the day. So it's also a question of your priorities. If your career is, is important to you and you, you like your career, maybe it's worth coming home and feeling beat. You know, a lot of people, that's, that's worth it. But if you don't feel good with that, um, like one suggestion I've heard for introverts who are in sales is try to get into sales where you're selling business to business. You know, where you're sitting down with like one representative of a big company telling them in detail about the product. And over the course of several weeks, they're going to decide whether they want to sign a contract with you. That's a much better sales job for an introvert than, say, like, you know, facing clients, you know, 100 people a day and trying to sell them on on something. So true. But you you know yourself. And what I find is, sadly, uh, we make these career decisions when we're younger and we may not... We may not know some of these issues. I, I you know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I was a high sensitive until uh, until about six years ago, 
And but for so that meant for 42 years of my life, I thought I was just crazy. Exactly. And you you feel that way. You uh feel like you're crazy. You know, you feel like there's something wrong with you. And that was ultimately, I think, the biggest thing that this whole experiment did for me was just got me to accept who I am. And I remember there's a moment and for the extroverts listening, this will not sound like a moment at all. But for the introverts listening, this, this, you might connect with this. I was, um, I was invited to go to this, this great party. Um, a bunch of my friends were going, and there was, it was at this restaurant after hours. The restaurant, you know, they were closing their doors, a private party, and there's this, like, fancy chef who's going to make this special dinner. And, and, you know, I went for just a little bit. I had a glass of wine, and just as they were closing the doors to start the big private fancy party that I felt so cool to be invited to, I was like, I got to go. And I just made a decision right there. I was like, I don't want to spend the next four or five hours with loud music and everybody getting drunk and talking to strangers. Yeah. I have no need to do this. I'm just going to go home and work on my novel. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that was a big moment, like just to willingly choose not to be the nerd who was being left out because nobody wanted me there, but to have gotten the invite and just realized like, no, I actually prefer to go have a quiet night at home. Mm. That was really a moment for me. You just, yeah, I came for cocktail hour, said hi. That's one of the rules that I use is I, and I, my wife has to pretty much force this, but I try to go to everything I can and leave when I, when I need to. Yeah, exactly. Because I, what I've noticed, if I don't go, it starts getting harder and harder to go. You know, it's, it's yeah. harder the next time to go because, oh, I should have, this is, I start building up my own walls for myself. Hey, as and we wrap you up. Your, your wife is more of the marathon runner. Yeah, she is a event. total. Is she good about leaving when you no, want to leave? Because that's no. always hard too. Sometimes I just go sit in the car and wait. <laughs> and some, then, I, then I start the car and then I pull it up front and then I just slowly start tapping like on the head. horn. Right. <laughs> and then she gets in and she's mad. Like, what is your deal? I don't know. Yeah, I've been through that. Yeah. We, we've always, because she's the marathon runner, we're always the last one to leave anything. I mean, I'll right. go do a speech for a thousand people and we will be the last people out the door. And it wasn't even my you know, location. Um, right, right. So as we wrap up, give us uh, the one thing. I always like to talk about the one thing that your biggest learning out of your experiment and uh, just your own journey with introversion and extroversion. Yeah, the biggest thing I learned for myself is that I have what I've, what I've nicknamed my basket, my basket of things. If I can fill up my basket with this, this specific list of things that I need, then I am good to go in a social situation. I will have lots of energy. And if I can't fill up my basket, my little checklist, then I'm going to be uh, dead the whole time. For me, and, and I think the basket's going to be different for every introvert, but for me personally, it's a few things. Like I need to finish my work before I go to the social event. If I can't finish my work, I'll be thinking about it the whole time. Huh. Like, oh, I'm behind on this, I'm behind on this, and that drains me. Um, I eat something before I go. It doesn't matter go. if there's going to be food at the event. I eat before I go so that I'm not hungry and I have more mental energy. Yeah. Um, and just a list of things, but probably the funniest one on there is I actually, like 20 minutes before I leave for a social event, I just crank up some really bad pop music. <laughs> <laughs> like really upbeat, like, yeah. you know, happy, dancey pop music. Right. I just blast that for 20 minutes and it just gets my adrenaline going and I feel more energetic when I get to the event. It's so I just do this little <laughs> short list of things. If I can do that before I walk out the door, I'm, I'm good to go. Almost like I'm an extrovert. I, I love can, that. No, yeah. I love that. I, I kind of do the same thing. And then I, then I feel weird when my kids are watching. Um, Andre, <laughs> we appreciate you, my friend. That is some great insight. And uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your time as well. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Go check out the website, roguepriest.net, roguepriest.net. You can also find some of his writings on Huffington Post. Just look up Andre Solo. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap it up with a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know what? Life's hard enough, right? And we can talk about the differences between men and women. We could talk about the differences between, you know, uh, your education levels, where you were born, how you were parented. But we could also get into just your tendency toward others, uh, other human beings. Do you tend to be an introvert, an extrovert? And again, they're just words, they're descriptions, but um, it does help to, I think, understand who you are as Dr. Uh, uh, or as Andre Solo was talking to us about. There is a book out that we've, we've talked about on the show quite a bit um, over the years. Susan Cain wrote the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in the World That Can't Stop Talking. And uh, about a third of the population will identify as an introvert. And again, you may not like this distinction, but if you don't like the distinction, it doesn't mean it's not real. <laughs> So know that a third of the people you're interacting with are different from you in their need to be with people. And it doesn't mean they're snotty. It doesn't mean they're arrogant. It doesn't mean they're weird. It just means they like to have some alone time. So a few little bits of advice for all of us that came from the book, Susan Cain, that some of my favorite learnings from um, the, the book Quiet. And it's an interesting fact that they found that a lot of the the students, the MBA programs, for example, at Harvard, they actually are looking for extroverts. The very intake process to draw people to Harvard, they're looking for people that are more extroverted. They 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 tend to work better on teams. They tend to, um, you know, they're more willing to say what needs to be said in the meetings. But one of the problems they're running into is they get a room full of extroverts, but they don't get any introverts, and so they might be losing the benefits of the introvert. There are benefits to being an introvert. Somebody that actually thinks before they speak, for example, wouldn't that be an ideal thing to have in the room? Is it possible, Susan Cain posits in her book, Quiet, that some of our biggest problems in the world are created because people aren't thinking? They're just reacting. They're responding. And they're even being incentivized to move and to respond. So let's let's look at introversion not as a curse, but as a great, great gift. A couple of other uh, issues to kind of remember is that introversion can become a strength for you. It doesn't need to be your weakness. You just need to know your nature, stay true to your nature, and turn it into something you can do well. Uh, also, another key is whatever you are, whoever you are, you can you can learn both sides of it. You and you should learn to still be extroverted. Learn to spend your your free time in a way that rejuvenates you. If it's if it's use your free time. If you need private quiet time to be rejuvenated, use it, or you will lose it. You'll exhaust yourself. Also, a really great point she makes in the book is that love is essential. Okay, loving a human being is an essential part of all of our humanity, but gregariousness is optional. You don't have to be the loudest. You don't have to be, uh, you know, the the life of every party. You can still be loved and still be loving even if the noise is too much to handle. So everybody, all of us need to remember the differences of people aside, we need to feel loved. We need to know that um, 
that, that we're cared for. And let's start learning about our spouses. My wife, for example, is a marathon uh, socializer. I'm more of a sprinter. I need to pay more attention to make sure we're getting her out socially as much as she wants to. And she needs to pay attention to me and know that we didn't, we need to leave. You know, we also need some quiet time. Anyway, just a few tips from the coach. If you want more, go to matttownsend.com. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, another hour, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Man, it is, uh, it's it's Monday for you, which we're all recovering, I'm sure, from the big Olympic blowout closing ceremonies. The what? <laughs> I didn't watch them either. Yeah. I... Uh, I saw the U.S. basketball team route Serbia. Yeah. I was hoping for more out of that game. They played them on August 12th right. and lost what they won by three points. So they, I thought it would be a close, more intriguing game, but they just blew them out. They must not have been trying. They didn't play well in the first time around. Yeah. And then they came back, and several players that scored 12 points scored 30 points for the U.S. Mm. So when you get 15 more points across several different players, you're going to blow them out by 30. Seems a little bit strange. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't see it, and then all, all the news I hear about about it is just that the greased up uh, flag carrier for Tonga. Was he out there again? He's all oily and he was out there yeah. for the opening ceremonies. Okay, apparently looking yeah, shiny, shiny. I was thinking. Well, it was raining too, so yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, maybe that's why. Everybody was in ponchos, like yeah, water off a duck's back. And then I guess the governor of J- of Tokyo pops out and Mario <laughs> hat or something. I don't know some weird Mario Brothers reference. Tokyo is going to be crazy because they say they'll so four years from now they'll have self-driving cars. Cool. They will. They'll have all of these incredible technological advances. It'd be great. Won't that be wonderful? Yeah. We probably will have robot robotics as part of the Olympics by then. Speaking of technology, Barbara Streisand called Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple. Yeah. Uh, asking him if she could fix how Siri. The personal assistant on all, all the iPhones mispronounces her name. Really? Yeah. How does how does there's a little hitch halfway through like Barbara, like a, like a, a, Honda. A, a, a glitch in Streisand. Yeah. I, I, I missed it by that much. I, I looked it up this morning. Went, oh yeah. So she just called up her close personal friend. Could you fix Siri for me? Hey Tim, is Tim there? <laughs> yeah, Tim. I'm having trouble with my Siri. How do I? Uh, so that's the first you? step to the wow. technological advances of Tokyo is that Siri is going to possibly work better. Man alive! Well, we'll have to get to those headlines. Man. I'm sorry, you can't say "man alive." Oh, sorry. Yeah. We learned Person. last hour you're not allowed to say the word "man." Person alive on Princeton University's banning the word "man." So, holy person alive! Yeah, that works. I think that's not offensive to everyone considered. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. 
Something's weird there. We got a great show for you today. We will um, we, really. Where does where does it end? Quite where, honestly, where does what end? Everything. We've got to catch you up on our last our guest last week. Ed Eyestone was coaching Jared Ward mm-hmm. on in the Olympic marathon, and if you remember, his coach Ed Eyestone said we'd love a top ten finish. Mm-hmm. His stretch goal top six. Well, if you'll hang on, when we come back, we're going to tell you what number... Where he finished. Where he finished. All right. Amazing story. With that amazing mustache he has. With that amazing stash that Kevin Durant's like, dude, nice stash. Nice stash. So we'll get to that story. Plus, uh, we, of course, will be talking about, um, you know, your kids and tantrums. You're going to need to learn this, Terry. You got a baby on the way. Hmm. Your other child never had a tantrum. No, he does. He does. The difference between misbehavior and stress behavior, managing tantrums, catching the tantrum before it turns into a full-fledged tantrum. Yeah, we have a hard time. We're like, no, 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 no. And then it's already rolling down. Boom! And it's over. Yeah, exactly. It's like something like boiling over on the stove. And it has to do with those car carts at the grocery store. Ah. They don't have a car cart. Kid goes nuts. Yeah. Like, settle down. You think that that would end when they're young, but I have a teenage son that still wants to drive in the car cart. <laughs> and so whenever he goes to the store with his friends, they all cram into the car cart, and then nobody can push him because they weigh a ton. It doesn't change. It it won't stop. So we'll get into tantrums with your kids, how to stop them, and how to really anticipate them. We'll get to that in just a bit. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's up? A top U.S. health official from the National Institutes of Health has warned that the public could soon see cases of Zika popping up in Gulf states like Louisiana and Texas after the mosquito-borne virus spread to Miami Beach. Recent flooding in Louisiana has made the state a prime target for the virus, noting the best way to prevent Zika from spreading is to get rid of standing water, an impossible task for the authorities there currently. Donald Trump demanded the Clinton Foundation be shut down in a statement on Monday, calling it the most corrupt enterprise in political history. Trump has previously accused Hillary Clinton of a pay-to-play relationship with foreign donors during her time as Secretary of State. Bill Clinton has said the foundation will stop accepting foreign donations if Hillary Clinton is elected to office. The 2016 Rio Olympics came to a close Sunday night during a rainy ceremony. Gold medal winning gymnast Simone Biles carried the flag for U.S. delegation, one of the many athletes braving the weather by wearing a poncho. International Olympic Committee President Thomas Bach said the Rio Olympics will leave a unique legacy, and there were a lot of fireworks, confetti, floats, and samba dancers. The ceremony ended ended with the extinguishing of the Olympic flame and the official handover of the Olympic flag to the host of the 2020 Games to the governor of Tokyo. And finally, yes, a UK woman placed her wedding dress for sale on eBay to pay for her divorce from her ex-husband who left her to foot the bill. Oh, poor lady. Samantha Rag, 28, placed the size six Art Deco wedding dress up for sale on eBay, along with a tongue in cheek description detailing her divorce from her cheating scumbag of a husband. (laughs) But the good news is she put the dress up for $2,000, but the bid is now up to $86,000. Holy cow. So she is definitely making a profit off her loss. Who would pay $86,000? Kind people who want her to succeed in life after such a horrifying event, I would assume. So my wife is out of town right now. Yeah. And uh, that thing is just sitting up in the attic. Just sell it. 86000 Yeah. Wow. So you have to make up a really bad story 
about you. And then let's do it. We got to do it as a show, like a fundraiser. Huh. About a dirtbag jerk of a husband. Well, that doesn't fit you, Jeffrey. Uh, we've got a great show also. And by the way, thanks, Sadie, for the news update. Poor lady with the dress. Speaking of uh, dresses, you've seen people cut holes in their wedding dresses, you know, or destroying what? their dress because they divorce. Oh, okay. Ever seen that? No. Um, so I'm looking at a marathoner, and he has cut holes in his jersey. It's as he ran for his running for the sake of running. Did he get divorced? Is aerodynamics or it's, I don't know. And cut I don't down know. On wind resistance? I, don't, I had never seen a uniform like this at all. Air but conditioning? It's just got a you know, you, you know, most jerseys have tiny little holes right. they breathe through. His are all about the size of a quarter. Okay. And he has probably hundreds and hundreds of holes right. on his jersey. The the jersey I was looking at belongs to Jared Ward, who is a BYU runner, a professor here at BYU. Last week we talked to Ed Eyestone about his marathon. His goal was to get in the top 10, which is difficult to do, very difficult to do. And this BYU gazelle, let's call him a gazelle. They, they're runners. Right. You'd say cheetah, but cheetah. not really a distance In fact, with the spots, animal. he looks like a cheetah right. uh, with the holes in his shirt. He Cheetah's is more of a sprinter. Yeah. The, this is a long-distance cheetah. Right. So it'll be different. And he runs on his hind legs. There you go. Yeah. Sixth place. Not bad. He made his stretch goal. Right. It was amazing. Somebody told him like nine miles out that he was in 15th place. <gasps> and he thought, hey, I just need to pass the guy in front of me and I'll be in 14th. Maybe you had some heavenly help with those holy clothes. Yeah, well. We don't joke yeah. like that, Jeff. Yeah. That's. Wow. That went weird. Well, at least the whole role of the uh, board operator is continuing. Yeah. Awkward it's, jokes. It's, right then I had this. <laughs> Moment that I thought, Ben. What, huh? He's back. He's been back. Oh, no. But did you notice Jeff's timing is so much. No. Um, Jeff's timing is different. <laughs> it's different. And he even That's had a, a sound it. effect ready. He did. Poor Ben. I saw a picture of Ben walking on the beach in Hawaii. Poor yeah, guy. Poor guy. Life's tough for the kid. <sighs> I don't know how he's going to make it. I don't either. I don't either. It's just so sad. his goal was to finish sixth in the marathon. No, his goal his goal was top ten. Well, he probably wanted to win, but, but his, his goal, okay. stretch goal, like yeah, yeah, and yeah. Ed Iceland said, to really stretch sixth in sixth best marathon time in the world. Right. I mean, I what mean, was in your, the Olympic event. What was your stretch goal for the weekend? Mine. Yeah. Well, I had to stretch my back a lot because I weeded a ton. Okay. Right. I weeded about twenty tons of. Weed and grass. Okay. I have a green thumb. Is it because you colored it green? No. Nope. Did you dip it in the Rio pool? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No? I just have a green thumb because I can grow weeds anywhere. Oh, well, weeds. Cracks in cement? Mm -hmm. Growing them. Me too. Rocks? Mm-hmm. Growing them, put down the special tarp so that nothing can grow. Right, I have Growing that. Them, I have that. <laughs> nuke the ground with chemicals that uh -huh. were banned fifty years ago. Done it. Growing them. Fifty years ago. <laughs> I'm. I can grow a weed anywhere. You planted salt, and they still grow. Yeah, yeah. the Bonneville salt flats. <laughs> grew them. 
I'm the only guy to grow weeds in the Bonneville Salt Flats, which it ain't easy, folks. Right. <laughs> it ain't easy. Um, we got some crazy news out of uh, Aurora, Colorado. Deputy fires. This is an amazing story. Hmm. And luckily, the deputy's still alive. Deputy fires a one in a billion shot okay, into the suspect's gun. Investigators say an off-duty Colorado sheriff deputy fired a bullet straight down the barrel of a suspect's gun. Wow. Can you imagine that shot? That's crazy. Should I hit him in the chest, the center mass? Mm-hmm. That's what you're trained to do. Should I just take his leg out? Right. Should I go for the headshot, a little two-popper? <laughs> or should I... Uh-huh. Um, or should I shoot the gun out of his hand? No, 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 no. I'm going to disable his gun wow. by shooting a bullet down the barrel. Now, listen, though. The detail emerged in a letter from prosecutors announcing that County Deputy Jose Marquez was justified in shooting the attempted robbery suspect who survived. Marquez was also wounded in the shooting and is still recovering. Hmm. So this guy did a one-in-a-billion shot. That saved his life, probably, and yet both of them were both injured in the shooting. Marquez was visiting his girlfriend's apartment when two suspects approached him in the parking lot with their guns drawn. The off-duty deputy told investigators that one suspect told him to give it up. Marquez says the suspects fired first, and he shot back. Now, here's the sad thing. Hmm. When you get a one-in-a-billion shot, you and then but you also get shot in this situation— you don't get the normal celebration one should get right. when you have a one-in-a-billion shot. I mean, one-in-a-billion. Hmm. Like, lightning, you're more likely to get hit by lightning than shooting down the barrel of some... So somehow, because he got shot, it diminished the one-in-a-billion shot. Well, yeah, well, he didn't get the party, the celebration. Okay. So we have a new uh, tool we're using called Dream, Dream Scheme. Okay. Seems like we're still working on the name. We'll work on that. I just made that up right then. (laughs) But it's where we can actually redo the scenario, and this is what it should have sounded like. Oh, okay. Revisionist history. Got it. Revising history with dreams, dream. (laughs) Dream machine. Dream machine technology right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is what it should have sounded like. I knew you would. I just knew you would. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disneyland. There's Marquez. Wow. Did did he win the showcase showdown? No, 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 no. Oh. He shot the bullet down the guy's pistol and then... uh, Just thought he won like a washer and dryer combo. And you could hear it kind of rolling in there. Okay. I know. It was... This had nothing to do with the prices, Oh, I'm sorry. Just... I don't even know why your head went there. Well, no, I just, so he shoots the gun, the bullet goes down the barrel, he gets a washer and dryer. Yeah, and when we take it to the dream machine, we could make it a better ending. Yeah. No one was injured, but it should be that the minute you have a one in a billion shot. Well, probably the guy holding the gun with the bullet that goes down the barrel might have an adverse reaction. Yeah, he might hate that. It might, might blow up in his hands or something, so he may have some burns. Yeah. But he's the bad guy. But he shouldn't be firing the gun at the top. That's right, right. So... That's the way it should have ended. Okay. I like the, yeah. where the, are you going now? The alternate ending. I like that. We're going to Disneyland. Wouldn't that have been cool if, like, confetti started falling? Mm, immediately. And Marquez and these two criminals are like, what the, what's going on here? You just hit a one in a billion dollar shot. Wow. So we should just have, like, roving 
<laughs> game show like announcer guys well, just it, around? I mean, if life were just, that's what would have happened. Okay. That's the problem. Life's not fair. It is, it is the dream machine, right? That's what we're... We can make it anything we want it to be. It's wonderful. I do like the feeling like you won the Showcase Showdown. Uh-huh. That's a good feeling. And how cool if all of a sudden reporters come up and with like a check... Or what if he got a car, like at the Super Bowl? Right. Hey, you're the you're the NFL's Super Bowl MVP. You're loaded. You Here's your tons new of money. Car. Here's a car you don't need. And so, then Marquez could have been like, "Dad, I got you a car." <laughs> so the question is, would you want Drew Carey or Bob Barker? Ooh, yeah. Which one? Who would you want to be your game show oh, host? Oh, I'd want Bob Barker. I loved Bob Barker until the spay neutering thing started. <laughs> it got kind of once he started promoting that, I. I mean, I get it. You and remember, spay and neuter, and, yeah. it, and it, he probably seriously has has, yeah, yeah. has changed it's the just world. A little repetitious. Yeah, I think as a kid, I thought he was mispronouncing the word spray. Yeah, this no. was before I knew what spay yeah. and neuter was. Yeah, yeah. I bet that was a great lesson for you. Spray and neuter. <laughs> yeah, I would have wanted Bob. Bob is my man. Anyway, again, we'll bring you more of the dream machine, the way things should work, folks. Right. Come on. Changing the world. That's what we're doing on this show. We will take a break. When we come back, we will help you understand your children's tantrums. How to stop them before they start. Boy, with the Child Whisperer, Stuart Shanker will be with us. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, tantrums. If, you ha- if you've ever had a child, a, t- a toddler, um, really, I guess it could almost go up to any age. We'll ask the expert here. But when was the last time you took your kids out to a nice restaurant? Maybe it's been a while because you don't want to deal with all the whining, the fussing, the picky eating, and the spills. When kids misbehave, it can be embarrassing and exhausting, and sometimes the easiest solution is to send them to time out so we don't have to deal with them for a few moments. But what if your kid's misbehavior is actually stress behavior? What if there's something you could do to stop those tantrums before they even start? Today, we have New York University's research professor of philosophy and psychology, Dr. Stuart Shanker, joins us to discuss his book, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. Dr. Shanker, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Matt. So some of these tantrums, then, really are just like stress blow-ups. Yeah, and uh, just to pick up on what you said in your intro, yeah, it's all ages, and we're seeing an absolute explosion of these behaviors, um, really boys and girls starting from very young right up until their older teens. It's crazy because as a parent, we can tell, oh, it's it, oh, we've been here too long, the kid's getting yeah. frustrated, or we can see that they're hungry, and we can f- feel a tantrum coming. We've just, I guess, never associated with it to the fact that they're stressed. Yeah, we've been studying this actually pretty carefully now for about 20 years. What we've seen happening is there's been this growth in the stress that kids of all ages are under, and it's gotten worse every year, and that's why the behavior problems are getting worse every year. Wow. What what do you attribute the stress to? What I mean, it, what's has, how has life changed in the last 20 years? Is it technology? What is it? 
You know, that's kind of the million-dollar question, right? And so what we do in the labs is we look at stress real carefully. And what, we, what we've seen is basically there are all sorts of hidden stresses in life today. And uh, we're starting to worry that this may be the most stressed generation ever. What we mean by that is so many of the stresses that kids are under are things that we don't even recognize as a stress. But unfortunately, their body does, and especially their brain. Holy cow. Give us an example of a stress that we don't even recognize as a stress. Well, I mean, I, let me give you one is this one. I just saw it with our kids. They're going back to school, but sports and athletics are like occupying my family's life. And, <laughs> and so now all of a sudden there's this constant push to be an athlete and to succeed at it. You know, I've got uh, two kids that are both athletes myself, and uh, I'm just astonished at the demands on each of them uh, in their sports. Um, they, uh, I was an athlete when I was a kid, and the things that my children are asked to do are like a hundred times greater than what we were ever asked to do. And I'm not sure, <laughs> for little guys, I'm not sure how well they can cope with it. Right. But let me give you an example of a hidden stress, okay? Yeah. Uh, here's a good one. Um, we've seen this massive change in what our children drink. So let's stick with the uh, athletic examples. So everywhere where my son plays hockey, there are machines selling uh, glucose drinks. Mm -hmm. The problem is that glucose, uh, we we have a part of our brain that monitors how much glucose uh, there should be. And we actually have to burn an awful lot of energy to get rid of too much glucose. Well, we're seeing a generation now where 97% of their fluid intake is either sweet and fruit drink, uh, sweet and fruit drinks, or else uh, uh, pop or energy drinks. And this is a problem because it can take all night for the brain to get those uh, glucose levels down and to get the sodium levels down. Mm. That's a good example of a hidden stressor, something that's going on even while your child is asleep. Unbelievable. Yeah, your body's just trying to process all the sugar. You got it. And and so when we say the stressor, so it stresses the body, but what does it do? Does it elevate the heart rate? Does it, That's or does exactly it, right. is that what, what it does? What happen is, uh, you, you nailed it. So basically what's happening while they're sleeping, and you know, we see this with things like video games. We've seen exactly the same effect. Uh, their heart rate goes up, their blood pressure goes up, their breathing goes up from about 15 breaths a minute to 40 breaths a minute. All this is happening while the kid's in a deep sleep. And what it means is that a kid's only got a finite amount of energy, and so much of it is being used up to get rid of these, what are essentially toxins, Mm. that when the child wakes up in the morning, he hasn't got enough energy left in the tank to deal with his emotions or to, to regulate his behavior. And that's why we see the explosion. Holy cow. And that's one we don't even think about. We always want to peg it on something else, right? Some external factor. But, I mean, yeah. this is diet. Yeah, and then we start to look about, you know, so we look at stuff like uh, noise levels or a big stress for kids. And we now know that uh, they're exposed to way too much noise in environments like at school or, you know, in crowded, uh, you know, restaurants. You gave that great example. Um, If you can lower the noise level, it's quite remarkable how much the kid starts to calm down. And there are simple ways to do it, by the way. Is it's interesting. Is this why they might turn to technology anyway um, to to kind of tune out from stuff? 
Yeah, now the problem there is it's sort of a mixed blessing, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the problems is that the the brain goes through a 90-minute cycle, and it does this 24-7. Every 90 minutes, we get signals that it's time for us to rest. It's called the BRAC, the Basic Rest and Activity Cycle. The problem is that what the kid is doing is he's reaching for his technology at those 90-minute break periods uh, to give himself that little bit of a buzz to get through it. And he's not learning to read the signals of when he needs to put his feet up, when he needs to just chill for you know a minute or two. So we've got a generation, we're seeing a generation of kids now who literally don't know what it feels like to be calm and relaxed. Oh, Stuart, this is scary. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it really is. And I'm glad you're here enlightening us because, it, again, it's something as simple as our drinks, our glucose. What else? Are there other kind of hidden stressors? that uh, are out there that we just ought to immediately be paying attention to? You know, we look at sort of a combination of things. So let me give you a nice example. Um, Obviously, sleep is really, really important. And we know that our children aren't getting enough of it. And we know they're about one to two hours underslept, all ages, including babies. So that's that's a well-known thing. But now, in the last, uh, say, 10 years, we started to look at something called slow brainwave sleep, restorative sleep, okay? Yeah. And what that means is uh, exactly what you said before, Matt. Uh, so the heart's nice and slow, and uh, everything is, uh, is restoring itself. Now, there is this fascinating study that was done in Sweden, and what they found was when a kid plays something like a violent video game, the very primitive parts of the brain go on high alert because these parts of the brain are pretty stupid. Uh, they don't know it's just a game. And so they respond to, you know, like the threat or somebody's trying to kill you. They respond with a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. And uh, what happens when the kid falls asleep? So say mom and dad come and they say, well, you know, it's 10 o'clock, the light's out now. But what the Swedes discovered was it, that alarm that gets triggered, it stays on for half the night. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. He's, still, he's burning, 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 even though he's asleep. Yeah, because he's chemically charged. You're not. You got it. That's exactly right. Holy cow! Then all of a sudden, we yeah. uh, y- you have to somehow deal with the fact that he's chemically charged, and yet he's still not. But he's supposedly sleeping, so we give credit that he got eight hours of sleep. That's exactly it. But he didn't. Yeah, you got you got it exactly right. That's well, and it. then and then this is the kid that eventually will be. I'm betting. Uh, you know, 30 years later, he'll be overweight. He'll be uh, having on a sleep apnea machine. He'll have sleep apnea. He'll be on a CPAP machine and trying to fight one problem that leads to another problem that leads to another problem and chasing that his whole life. So, Matt, you need to come work with us. I would love to. (laughs) That's what the book is about, and that's exactly what we see. You you nailed it. And we don't, but like you say, it's hidden. It's the hidden stressor. Holy cow. And then you see it as adults where, why is dad such a raunch? Why is dad so angry? But it might be very similar things. Yep. Yep. Holy cow. Okay. So let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Stuart Shanker. He is author of the book, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. We'll, we'll come right back and continue to give you some solutions about how we handle this, what uh, what else we can find in his book, Self-Reg. 
We're learning from a true blue professional, folks, somebody that studies it every day, distinguished research professor, Dr. Stuart Shanker. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Don't throw a tantrum about it. Nobody wants to grow up, but man, we are stressing our kids out, and we may not even be know, we not may not even know it. Dr. Stuart Shanker, a distinguished research professor of philosophy and psychology at York University in Toronto, and also the CEO of Merit Center, which you can find at www.self self-reg.ca self-reg.ca and you can find out more about this book self-reg good to have you here dr shanker thanks matt talk to us about um you were talking about the hidden stressors that that kind of come in our food our drink our lifestyle like noise our lack of sleep and this creates a stress on the children and really the body probably goes into kind of fight or flight right yeah that's right and then, and then what? So if, if I can, is it as a parent that I need to see the signs that it's happening or just try to prevent the stress altogether? Can you prevent the stress? Uh, no, because we want our kids to have stress in their lives. You know, uh, good stress, like the stress of school or the stress of sports, these are, these are fabulous for driving growth. So what we want to do is we want to get rid of the negative stresses that we can so that they have the energy to deal with the positive stresses that are so rewarding for their lives. Hmm. Yeah, um, you, they, they need to learn that, right? They've got to learn it. And um, what we as parents need to do is exactly what you just said. We have to learn how to distinguish between misbehavior and stress behavior. What, what, are, what are some of the distinctions? Well, with stress behavior, what's happening, uh, you hinted at this a second ago, what's happening is in stress behavior, the parts of the brain, the neocortex that we use to think, to listen, to learn, they shut down. And so if a kid's in stress behavior, having the meltdown that we started with, he's not hearing anything that you're saying. He's not registering or processing it. He is in fight or flight. Hmm. And uh, once the signs are, the, and so in the book, we go through all the different kinds of signs. Yeah. And yeah. I'll give you a real simple one. His voice will change, uh, and you'll hear that his, his speaking becomes a little bit more higher-pitched, a little bit faster. Um, and there are all kinds of very interesting body signs of when he's gone into this state. Mm-hmm. What we've got to do is we've got to, uh, when a kid's in this state, we've got to turn off his alarm. We've got to get him out of fight or flight so that we can turn back on that front part of the brain, the new brain, so that he does, in fact, hear what we're saying, so that he can, in fact, process and learn from this experience. Holy cow. I, it, to me, the whole time you're talking about this, because I work with couples that, that argue a lot, and yep. but this is, yeah. this is adult behavior just as much. Yeah, I agree completely. You need to get the adult version, too. Well, or maybe really we all just need to go back to the basics like you're teaching in self-reg. Well, you know what? You're right, because we're all overstressed. That's the reality of life. Right. Well, I mean, even the tonal change of the voice, it is a stressed sound. It's not, but some might interpret it as he's angry. But it's really no. It's there's there's a kind of a sense of stress to it. Yeah, what, I got to tell you, Matt. I'm re- I read the papers, uh, American papers, every morning before I start to work, and you know you can kind of see why we're all overstressed a little uh-huh. bit. Right. 
Right? A little gun shy. I mean, a little not gun shy. Too, too gun, you yeah. know, fast with our gun. Too quick draw. A little bit, yeah. Um, is, you, know, you talk about this. No. Is, is this a global problem based on your research? Do you see it globally, or does this tend to be more of an American phenomenon? Yeah, it's global. So we've been, uh, part of my work for the last 20 years is going around the world uh, helping governments basically uh, institute self-reg. And we were just astonished to see that this kind of um, explosion that we're seeing in the U.S. of anxiety in children, mm-hmm. we see it everywhere. I have not yet been to a country where I haven't seen a generation that has a very serious anxiety epidemic. Yeah, because that's what I keep hearing. We're diagnosing more and more children with anxiety, yeah. which is, this is all we're talking about. The body will, stress to the body is anxiety. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Isn't yeah, no, that exactly amazing? Right. <laughs> and not well understood, by the way. Right, exactly. Because, we, you know, anxiety is just a chemical issue that you just have to treat with chemistry. But then you start adding chemicals that stress you. Yep, that's exactly right. So what we actually do is uh, the program, the method is it works on the body first. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to rebuild those energy uh, reserves. And what happens then is when you go up in your energy, your anxiety naturally dissipates. It sure. naturally wanes instead of trying to tackle it head on, which, by the way, doesn't work. It's just another stress. Because a, a child trying that's overstressed, that has no more energy to deal with all the stimulus, um, they, they feel like they're drowning. Yeah. Right. Oh, love wow. it. I love it, Matt. You're good. Yeah, don't tell a kid who's in this state to relax. That yeah. always works. You need to relax, Timmy. Yeah. You relax, yeah. Mom. Uh, and and a, I also, and it makes sense now that you describe it this way, this is a problem in bigger cities. Yes, it's uh, unfortunately it's been uh, um, it's been very closely correlated with urbanization, and, but the point there is is that urbanization also offers us this incredible opportunity to rise to the challenge. So I look at what's happening in Detroit today. You know, where have you seen those pieces about the uh, urban gardens that are yeah. uh, popping up? You bet. Uh, this is a fabulous example of how cities can transform themselves and make them healthy healing places for their kids. Man, it's it, I guess that's it, too, it, creating garden spaces uh, area. Talk about what are some things – we've only got about a minute left. What are some things that as we, we as parents can do to, to lower the stress? So, you know what? Every child is different. So let's, land on, let's end on that note. What's a stressor for one child isn't for another. And you know what? The little guys change on you all the time. So what was good yesterday isn't today. That's true. So you have to go through the steps, learn how to recognize the signs of when he's overstressed, and then you, and then you start to experiment. Find out what brings him back down to calm and what brings you back down to calm because you need it as much as he does. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is a book. we got to have you back uh, okay, again, yeah. Dr. Stuart Schenker. Keep up the great work there, really. I, I think this is this is going to be a game changer for, for families. <laughs> Matt, I've had a lot of fun with you. You bet. You too. Again, Dr. Stuart Schenker is his name. Self-Reg is the name of the book, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. I mean, don't you see this in your kids, even your adults in your family, your the people that are angry, frustrated, exhausted, stress, folks. It's taking us over. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be talking with two stress-free humans, Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Shaving cream, be nice and clean. 
Shave every day and you'll always look king. Welcome back, everybody. Great advice from Benny Bell. I think I'll break off with my girlfriend. Benny Bell, Shaving Cream song. Why, you ask? Because as I'm doing my radio show, I see some man. It seems like a, a man from the 70s or 80s, a big stash, just a little caterpillar crawling across his lip. And I say to myself, holy cow, is that Jerem Jordan? Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at Sports Nation. Find out what's on their show. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Yo! Nice stash. Thank you. Now, listen, it's in honor of Olympians Taylor Sander, bronze medal for Team USA Indoor Men's Volleyball. Yes. And Jared Ward, yes. also a BYU graduate uh, who finished sixth in the marathon. Amazing. He, w- he went from being kind of a nobody to sixth, and they both had mustaches or have. Taylor uh, shaved his after the match before the uh, ceremony for bronze. <laughs> But Jared has had one for a long time, so I honor them this day. I am shaving it at around twelve thirty today as well. Now it's it's not a real it's not like a Tom Selleck stash. How could it be? Yeah. Who has a Tom Selleck mustache yeah. other yeah. than Tom Selleck? Yeah, come on. That's true. Why is he always the standard? Why am I pit up against the best? Well, because I should be pit up against the average person. Did I just hear a Which, zipper? Yeah. Nope. Okay, just check. Nope, you didn't. Yeah, it was my makeup zipper. We we know what? this, right? Are you putting your parka on? No, I'm putting on my makeup, man. <laughs> okay. Hey, by the way, did you know that so last uh week we talked to Ed Eyestone who was coaching Jared yeah. and Ed Eyestone told he us went. he 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 said, yeah, he did go and he said uh Jared's goal is to get in the top 10. His stretch goal would be to get in the top 6. So, I mean, like his out-of-control stretch goal, yeah, and he did it. It's amazing. That's Every amazing. time he's run a marathon, he's improved. Amazing. I think that this dude is capable of meddling in I do too. the next Olympics. He was uh, quick to not embrace the next Olympics, per se. He's like, I have a third kid on the way next month, I think in two or three weeks. Uh, and then he's thinking about the next couple of races, world championship, blah, blah. But in Tokyo... This guy could be a legit dude. He didn't run a marathon, I think, till after BYU, if I'm Holy correct. Holy cow. He wrote his thesis on the proper pacing pacing of running a marathon. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thesis proved. And I I, uh, I hosted a uh, track and field kind of banquet in the fall. Mm-hmm. And he was there, and we talked uh, during it in front of everybody about what it would take to make the Olympics. And I thought, you know what? Most of the time we have these conversations with people. Uh, from BYU, it's kind of like, oh, that'd be cool. Now, that could um, that could yeah, be yeah. possible someday. He was one of the four mm. uh, that made it, and not only did he make it, he was sixth, which is wild. Amazing. And Taylor Sander won a, a medal. He got That's a bronze. Cool. And ah. he was fantastic in the tournament. Had 14 kills, seven digs, and two aces yesterday as the U.S. took bronze. Yeah, things got, kind of got off to a nightmare start for Taylor, and then he absolutely turned it around. Yeah, he was Holy not cow. playing good ball. Like, that was the worst I'd seen him play since his freshman year at BYU. Really? And then he played really well the rest of the tournament, and the U.S. won bronze, which is – they did not medal in the last Olympics, so it was nice to get, get Yeah, one. that's kind of nice. What uh, – anything else stand out for you in the Olympics? Any favorite story? Oh, I loved uh, – I loved Michael Phelps. I loved Katie Ledecky. I loved Usain Bolt. All that stuff. I loved. I loved the American pole vaulter who stopped mid national oh anthem. Goodness, that was amazing. On Saturday, I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah, 
I think he's involved in the military in some capacity. Yeah, he's a second, he's a lieutenant. second lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. That was cool. You know what? There, there were a lot of really cool stories on the the, the medley. Ryan Lochte was not great. That that know. was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but the women, the medley, the the women's I think four by four hundred relay or whatever. Is that what it was? Um, no, no, the other one. The four by one hundred where they took the gold. Yeah, yes. the rerun. Yeah, the four by one hundred. The rerun relay. to qualify yeah. and yeah. then they win it yeah. going away. They were but, smart to finish the. But race. I think one of the women had to borrow shoes cleats from her friend because her her cleats were missing their spikes <laughs> it only had one spike instead of many spikes so she wore a size uh, a half a size bigger than she normally wears oh interesting and she still took it it's yeah. better to be a half size bigger than oh. like a size too small man you're my, telling my me. toes are messed up from wearing cleats that were a little too small one time one time my wife told me later. for some reason all my clothes were shrinking <laughs> and then my wife just said, you know, it's not the clothes, honey. It's it's your it's, belly. It's your belly. <laughs> Quit eating all the food. <laughs> You're an elite eater. I'm an elite eater. Dang. Get in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> we missed you. Jerem, we've missed you. Thank you. You're yeah. the only person to say that to me this morning. I don't believe that. Spencer came up and just sat with me for Someone. an hour the other day. Someone texted me last night and said, because I said, oh, it's good to be back. And someone said, you were gone? <laughs> You're like, mom. <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> Honey. Come on, mom. Don't be rude. Hey, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Oh, it's loaded. You know. Let's go. Of course, locked it's, and loaded. It's Locked just, and loaded. We're less than two weeks away from game number one for BYU football. Mm. Practice 13 today. And we are giving you all the power. To Me? make the decision of when you name a starting quarterback. Not who, uh, but when. But when. I'd go today. When would you do it and why? Why would you go today, Matt? Because I'm busy and I won't probably be able to pay attention for the next week. <laughs> so let's just do it right now. Let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> That's kind of why. Okay. It's a, it's kind of a selfish rationale, but it's it all works. I got. Running backs coach Reno Mahe mm. uh, will weigh in on... What BYU has, which is a loaded stable of guys, plus Mike Littlewood, the baseball coach, on the 2017 BYU baseball schedule, and Cougars in the minors. There is there is a Cougar in AAA named Br- Jacob Brugman, who I think will be called up in uh, nine days to the A's when they expand the roster from 25 cool. to 40. He's crushing it. So we'll talk to him about the other Cougars in the minors. That's it. Have you guys um, have you guys done your video shoot yet for the commercials? I have done mine. Jerem is doing his today. Yeah, Jerem, I think, is later today. Uh, it might, just so you know, Jerem, they may be delayed about an hour because we've got a major back wax to do. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I'm not going to Jerem's got names. a major lip wax to take care of. <laughs> That's true. I'm shaving this before. You're going to have a rash. You're going to have a rash lip. Keep That's it on. Good. Keep it on. Keep, <laughs> Keep it wearing on. it, for sure. I had it like a whole, like... Four to six weeks during last basketball season. Let's, that was miserable. Let's I do know. it again. But the commercials live My forever. My marriage suffered. The, com- the commercials <laughs> live forever. That's right. Some things never die. <laughs> like that thing on your lip. Um, okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thank you. We'll see you later. Jerem, we'll see you at the waxing. <laughs> Stay sweet. Stay sweet. <laughs> Stay clean. <laughs> okay, good times. I love those guys. They they're they've got a great show. You're gonna want to stick around. It's only six more minutes till you can just enjoy 
Jordan's stash. Just cozy on up to that stash. Hey, uh, here's a crazy little news ditty for you. A New Jersey woman has been arrested for allegedly skipping tolls, something authorities says she's done more than 500 times. Police attempted to stop 54, 55-year-old Denise Simeon near the Holland Tunnel after learning she owed more than $16,000 in unpaid tolls. <laughs> Can you imagine doing the math on that? 500 times times $15 a toll. She owes sixteen grand, And, uh, oh, those are toll booths? I thought that was a photo, Matt. Uh, no, Denise, you got to stop. Did you not wonder why everyone was stopping all the time? Anyway, come on. We all live in this world together. Don't make me pay for you. You greedy little lady, guess what? $16,000 later, you probably learned your lesson. Also, uh, a, a crazy story. Um, this is one that, you know, everyone always talks about how hard the police have with their job, right? But apparently a sheriff's deputy had a surprise ending. When the driver stopped outside the city jail and climbed the fence to get in, deputies obliged by closing the gate and arresting him. Oceanside, California police said they started a pursuit when an officer tried to pull a car driver over in a 93 Nissan sedan for a minor traffic violation. Instead of stopping for the ticket, the driver kept going, meandering through the city for nearly 20 minutes before heading into the jail parking lot. He stopped, ran from the car, clambered over the fence, and into the jail intake area. Hey guys, I'm here! Where prisoners were driven in for uh, are driven in for booking. Thirty-five-year-old man was booked on several counts of resisting and obstructing police. I guess the thing he wasn't thinking is that that's going to add about five years to his sentence. Although he was considerate, he may have saved the taxpayers lots of money. Oh, sure. And what's crazy? He probably he was probably out on um, bond or something. So he was already probably had a warrant for his arrest. And now he thought, oh, I don't want to have, I don't want to be arrested on my warrant. So instead, I'm just going to go jump the fence. He wants to have a clean conscience. Ah, what a good guy. What a good, good, good guy. Well, as you know, we like to end the show with a hero story. And here is another police story about uh, some heroes. Someone called Rome police last week after hearing crying and yelling from an apartment. But when officers arrived, they found no crime taking place. Just an elderly couple, lonely and upset by the news they were watching on TV, the Telegraph reports. The couple said no one had visited them in months, and they were saddened by news stories about war and crime, according to The Independent. So the officers cooked a pasta dinner for Joel, who's 84, and her husband, Michelle, uh, who's 94, and they spent some time with them. The department shared a picture of the dinner on, on their Facebook post, and it's now gone viral. It's not always easy in, uh, uh, as a life as you think, you know, as you get older, especially when the city empties and the neighbors are away on vacation. The post reads, Joel and Michelle are not victims of scams, uh, as often happens to the elderly. No burglar came into the house. There was no one to save there. The time for the boys in blue there was more of a difficult task to perform two lonely souls to reassure. So the, the men in blue, they took over and made dinner, 
sat with them, and decided to just be there for another person. Isn't that what a true hero does? Everybody, think about it right now. Do you know somebody that is suffering from being lonely? Let's make it a charge, all of us. Let's step up and help those that uh, just need to know they're loved and cared about. That really is the goal of the show, is to lift all of us, to be able to see the good in the world, and more importantly, also become that good for one another. We, uh, we are here every day, 9 to noon, Eastern Time. If you haven't heard of the show before, listen now. Now you've touched it. You've tasted it. We'll be back tomorrow. More tools, more information, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead a healthier, happier life. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, and uh, let's make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.